This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. Man. Got a heavy hitter on the show today. Dr. Gary Chapman will be joining us in just a few minutes. If uh, if you've ever read the book or heard of the book, The Five Love Languages, the good Dr. Gary Chapman will be here. He's been on the show before and talked about that book. Today we will be talking about uh, another emotion, not the emotion of love, but the emotion of anger. Do you have anger in your life? Well, you know what? How could you have anger today? You will not believe what day we are celebrating today. Happy August 4th. Uh, is today the 4th? Man. 5th. It is. It says the 4th and the 5th. Happy underwear day. I guess that's good. I guess that's good. Today is underwear day. In an effort to publicly shine light on the unmentionables, underwear day is a day to celebrate underwear. That's where we've fallen to. Underwear day. I like it better when it's a food day. Or Coast Guard day. Uh, man, great, uh, great. Did you hear about the cops that bust? They had this big uh, pot bust that at a uh, downtown Santa Ana, what do they call them, pot dispensary. And, you know, they had to go in there, crack down. Broke all the cameras apparently in the uh, in the crackdown, except the one that was a, a special hidden camera, which then showed these guys eating, you know, the the edible marijuana offerings. Oh boy, you know, ever since video was invented, a lot of cops are in trouble. <laughs> it's a sad day, isn't it? <clears throat> so we'll be. Um, you know, trying to help you out there. Uh, interesting story. If you, uh, <laughs> this is the craziest thing, and I'm dying to hear uh, what Kathy has to say about this. A man <clears throat> reportedly is suing his wife for fraud after seeing her with no makeup on. Oh, <laughs> that's the first time he's seen her without makeup. Apparently. Oh wow. The man is apparently suing his wife for deep distress. That she caused when he saw her without makeup on for the first time. <laughs> According to Yahoo News, the husband made the shocking discovery the morning after their wedding in Algeria. He was allegedly so stunned by his wife's natural appearance, he didn't believe he was in bed with the same person he married. <laughs> oh, my. <clears throat> That's when you know the honeymoon's over. I wonder how long they dated. They must not have dated very long. I don't know. Yeah, but or maybe it's just culturally you don't take your makeup off. <laughs> I don't know. Oh the man reportedly said she looked so different. The mirror reports he was under the impression a stranger had come in to steal his apartment. <laughs> oh, my sad. He said he was deceived by her as she used to fill up her face with makeup before their marriage. He said she looked very beautiful and attractive before marriage. But when he woke up in the morning and found that she had washed the makeup off her face, he was frightened and he <laughs> thought she was a thief. The lawsuit accuses the woman of fraudulence, claims she owes the equivalent of a little over $20,000 for psychological suffering induced by her incomparable deceit. 
That is hilarious. <laughs> and where is that again? Uh, Algeria. Algeria. Huh. Yeah, all I can say is they must not have dated very long. No, yeah. Something wasn't. Well, or this guy looks how, like. How do you never see your fiance, your wife without like, makeup? I don't know what it is, no. but you are absolutely beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> and today you are ugly. And today, what happened to your face? <laughs> your face seems so, I don't know, ugly. How rude is that? That is so rude. Oh, my heavens. See, oh, I feel bad for This her. is why we're doing a show on anger. Because yeah, I bet he's angry. Very. That's called the bait and switch. I call that the mate and switch. You, ha- you thought you married one thing. Next thing you know, hey, where's your face? That's so sad. <laughs> oh, that is sad. You know, oh, that's I'd love just... to see a before and after of her. Yeah, I, I'm going to go look up. I want a picture of that. We'll <laughs> see if we can find one. Put it out on uh, our Twitter page. Uh, anyway, those are my headlines. Do you have any headlines, Kathy? I do, Matt. Good morning. The lineup for the first Fox News GOP debate has been announced, and the frontrunner, Donald Trump, will be front and center tomorrow night. He'll be joined by Jeb Bush and Scott Walker on each side. The other seven, Mike Huckabee, Dr. Ben Carson, Ted Cruz, Marco Rubio, Rand Paul, Chris Christie, and John Kasich. The debate will begin at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, and RNC Chairman Reince Priebus talked about the debate. And when you have uh, 10 people on the stage and you don't have a lot of time, obviously every candidate's going to have to use every tiny second they have to make an impact, get right to the answer. There's not going to be a lot of wasted time. The rest of the field will debate two hours earlier. That includes Rick Santorum, Carly Fiorina, Lindsey Graham, Rick Perry, Bobby Jindal, George Pataki, and Jim Gilmore. The FBI is reportedly investigating Hillary Clinton's server she used for email while Secretary of State. The focus is on the security of sensitive information once housed on the server in her New York home. The information is apparently now on a thumb drive held by her attorney. Intelligence officials are concerned some of that sensitive information was not in the government's possession and could be compromised. The FBI says it's not targeting Clinton or accusing her of any wrongdoing. President Obama will speak at American University. University today trying to discredit criticism of the Iran nuclear deal. Mr. Obama will argue the people who supported the Iraq war now oppose the deal with Iran. Obama will try to make the case that the deal cuts off all of Iran's pathways to a bomb and that it would be an historic mistake if the agreement is not passed. Obama's speech will be at the same place President John F. Kennedy called for Cold War diplomacy and nuclear disarmament. Congress is expected to vote on the Iran deal next month. Thanks to cooler temperatures and a little rain, California firefighters are making some progress this morning in their battle against the state's massive Rocky Fire. So far, the fire has burned 67,000 acres covering an area of 100 square miles north of San Francisco. Here's California Fire Captain Steve Kaufman. It's like nothing most of us have ever seen before. Because our fuels are so dry, the vegetation's so dry. The flames are now 20% contained. This blaze is just one of 30 major wildfires burning in the West. The woman billed as the world's greatest free diver is missing and feared dead. 53-year-old Natalia Molkanova failed to resurface from a dive off the coast of Spain. Free diving requires divers to hold their breath for long periods of time. Molkanova could hold her breath for nine minutes and dive 330 feet. She holds 41 records and is a 23-time world champion. Cilantro 
from Mexico contaminated by human waste has sickened nearly 400 people in 26 states. The illness that causes diarrhea, nausea and fatigue appears to have begun in May. U.S. and Mexican health authorities investigated 11 farms and packing houses in Puebla and found human feces and toilet paper in fields and found some of the farms had no running water or bathroom facilities. The FDA has imposed a partial ban on cilantro from the region and since washing the cilantro may not be enough, people are told if in doubt, throw it out. And an East Texas man was hospitalized recently after a bullet struck him in the jaw. The man saw an armadillo in his yard, went inside to get his 38 revolver and shot the armadillo three times. One of the bullets ricocheted and hit him in the face. He was airlifted to a nearby hospital where he had his jaw wired shut. Officials couldn't find the armadillo, Matt, and the oh, status of the animal is unknown. <laughs> so we actually had sound of him getting hit in the no, head. No. What did that sound like again? Uh, can we that hear is that the one craziest more time? sound. That's from The Simpsons. Sounds like Homer. Was that Homer <laughs> yes. shooting an armadillo? Yes. Isn't yes. that interesting? Do not shoot an armadillo. Can you see that? Uh, coming back and hitting you in the face, he runs inside. Honey, um, Honey. I've been hit in the face with a bullet. What happened? Well, the armadillo hit me. The armadillo <laughs> shot me. Oh, that wow. Great, that great uh, you know, shell of the armadillo was, was yeah. hard enough. Impenetrable. But the other two bullets are not sure if it killed the armadillo. They couldn't find it, so I guess that's good news. No, it's the armadillo is in some hole somewhere just laughing. <laughs> like, did you hear that guy? For sure. Did you yes. hear that sound that did came you? out of that guy? <laughs> that's hilarious. Isn't that crazy? Oh, Man. that's one it, of those but, dumb You know, jokes. armadillos, they're just one of those... You know, yeah. they're just don't mess with them. You don't mess with an armadillo. No. <laughs> well, it got into its yard. I guess like a stray dog. You know, you just wanted to get it but out. In Texas, that's pretty common, right? Uh, very common. Ah, oh, yeah, that's funny. I love. Have you ever had? Have you ever eaten armadillo? <laughs> no. Fantastic. Let me guess. It tastes like chicken. Tastes like chicken. <laughs> tastes like chicken with a little. Uh, put a little dill sauce, a little armadillo sauce on it. Mmm, yummy. Everything tastes like chicken. Good stuff. Good news. Good job. Um, holy cow. Uh, we're going to take a break, but when we come back, great guest, one of my favorite uh, authors, Dr. Gary Chapman, will be joining us. You may have heard of his book called The Five Love Languages. It's it's one that uh, I think every wife on earth has bought to try to get her spouse to maybe pay more attention to how she wants to be loved. Wonderful tool. But today we are going to be getting into another book that uh, Dr. Chapman has written, Anger, The Taming the Powerful Emotion of Anger, folks. It's a tough one. Um, And, you know, we all might experience it in one way or another. Good anger, bad anger. We'll find out if there's a difference. Stick with us, folks. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back with Dr. Gary Chapman. Welcome back, friends, to The Matt Townsend Show, one of my favorite uh, books in the field of marriage and family relationships, The Five Love Languages, How to Express a Heartfelt Commitment to Your Mate, was written by our next guest, Dr. Gary Chapman, who he's he's been a marriage counselor, he, he has his PhD, but I think more importantly, he just... He just is doing everything he can uh, in his life to help improve the lives and the marriages of, of people. Uh, Dr. Gary Chapman is a national uh, marriage uh, you know, counselor, well-known, 
And uh, today we asked him to come back. He was with us a few months ago, and we asked him to come back to talk about another book that he's written called Anger, Taming a Powerful Emotion, which was uh, re-released in 2015. Dr. Gary Chapman, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Well, thank you, Matt. It's good to be with you again. Good to, good to have you. I really, truly respect uh, just what you do and how you do it. And I was so excited to have you come back to talk about the book Anger because we see so much of it in our world today. Don't you feel like it's it's almost escalating? I think it is, uh, Matt. And uh, I think uh, many people don't know how to handle anger. Yeah. And that's why I wrote the book. You know, I just feel like that we have to learn how to channel anger into a positive way rather than letting the anger control us and doing things that make things even worse. Mm -hmm. So much of anger, it's just natural, right? But what's it for? Why why do we get to a point where anger is the emotion? Well, you know, I think think anger is designed uh, to be a positive thing. I know that when we think of anger, we often think of anger as being negative. In fact, some people don't even want to admit that they're angry when they are. Yeah, totally. <laughs> because they think, what's well, wrong to be angry? You right. Know? Uh, I'll say in my office sometimes, uh, it sounds to me like you're angry about this. And they'll say, no, no, I'm not angry. <laughs> I, I'm just disappointed. You know? Yeah, <laughs> they, they'll <laughs> put some hurt. other name on it. They don't it. want to use the word anger because they think that's wrong. You know, Anger is pan-human. All humans experience anger. And I think it's because we have deep within us a sense of right and wrong. Mm. And when the sense, when our sense of right is violated, we feel angry. Interesting. And I believe the purpose of anger is to motivate us to try to deal with whatever we think is wrong, you know, and do it in a positive way. Uh, you know, that, that's why, Matt, I, I understand, uh, you know, the outbursts of anger in different segments of our society today. Yeah. Uh, but it's sad that people allow that anger to be expressed in destructive ways. You know, all great social reform really grew out of anger. Sure. If you look at the slavery movement in this country, when did it finally end? Yeah. When enough people got angry and said, this is not right. We're this not doing not this. Right. You know, yeah, and Wilberforce and others in England and others here, eventually that chapter in our in our history was closed. But... Uh, but it's unfortunate that when we see things in society that stir our anger, that we often let the anger control us and we do destructive things and make the situation even worse. And so that's why you sense it really can it's – a, it's a positive thing. The emotion anger is – it's not good or bad. It's, it's designed really to get you to act, but then you need to act healthy. Yeah, that, that's right. And the same thing is true in personal relationships. Let's face it, you know – uh, we are wronged from time to time individually. Sure. Things happen. You know, people say things that are unkind, and people do things that are wrong toward us and toward others in, in our circle of uh, acquaintances. And whenever that happens, we experience anger. Mm-hmm. And the purpose is to motivate us to go to the other person and say, look, you know, I really need to talk with you because I'm, I'm feeling angry, and maybe I've misunderstood the situation. But uh, here, and let me let me share this with you. And yeah. Let me get your response. You know, it's a positive thing. We reach out to try to reconcile uh, and to to deal with the issue that stimulated the anger. And when we do it in a positive way, then you know the relationship it can go on. We can deal with the issue and we can move on down the road. Yeah. You know, it's such an interesting thing you're bringing up because in South Carolina, the shootings that we saw and experienced in that church had everybody in the world has reason to be angry and yet as a cult as a community 
they turned it into something that instead of just anger, they turned it into something that was profoundly um, beautiful. Yeah. A love yeah, and, and a healing. Right. That is one example. Yeah. <laughs> in, in, a, in the many. I mean, really. Where people responded in a negative way. Yeah. How many, how many other times, yeah, do we end up turning into yeah. riots or whatever? Yeah. I mean, but that was right. just beautiful. And part of that, too, it gets into a little bit about your book. You, you In the book, you, you use a lot of Scripture. You use a lot of the Bible to, to talk about managing the anger. And it yeah. seems like there's a really kind of a natural way to use your belief system uh, in God or in a higher power to manage the anger. Well, I think so. I think, first of all, if we understand that we are made in the image of God— Therefore, we have a sense of right, yeah. which animals don't have, you know, but yeah. all humans have a sense of right. And, and we're, so we're made in God's image. You'll, you'll understand more where anger comes from if you understand that. And then secondly, uh, you know, the Bible has a lot of instruction about anger. Uh, for example, in Ephesians chapter 4, it says, being angry, sin not. Hmm. Notice carefully, not a sin to feel yeah. angry, but when you do feel angry, be careful. Yeah, don't go it's crazy. It's easy to sin when you're angry, yeah. and all of us have experienced that. Totally. You know, we latch out, or we, we push and shove, or throw things at people, and, you know, that's negative. So the warning is, uh, when you're angry, be careful and don't sin. So we need to talk about, you know, how do we how do we do that? Yeah. And then it also says, don't, that same verse, it says, don't let the sun go down on your mm. anger. In other words, we're supposed to process anger rather quickly. Now, I assume, Matt, if you get angry after dark, we'll give you till midnight, okay? <laughs> That's right, yeah, because at midnight we've got to go to bed and clean this up. But it's true, yeah, though, yeah, huh? Yeah, you yeah. don't want because you can carry it, but it almost seems like anger, you can't carry anger unless you keep kind of feeding the fire. Yeah, what will happen is if you don't deal with anger, if you don't process anger, you keep it inside. And a lot of people think this is healthy. You know, they'll say, well, or they even say, well, this is the Christian way. You, mm. know, you hold anger inside. No, 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 no. Uh, anger was meant to be a visitor, mm. not a resident. That's great. And if you hold anger inside, it will turn to bitterness and eventually hatred. And you will live with this desire to see that other person suffer for what they did to me. Yeah. And, and then it eats you from the inside out. Right. You know, Yeah. So we have to learn how to deal with anger, process anger, and not hold it inside. That's always detrimental. You you actually ter- you have a different term um, for anger, two terms, definitive anger and distorted anger. And I think it's important to distinguish between these two. Definitive anger is when someone has wronged you or wronged someone else. You know, whatever's happened is mm-hmm. wrong, definitely wrong. That's definitive anger. But we have a lot of distorted anger. And that is we get angry simply because the other person did not do what we thought they ought to do Mm. or uh, they, you know, failed us in some way in our our mind. But when you really look at it and ask yourself, did they do wrong? Yeah, no. No, it wasn't wrong. You know, I give an example. I don't know if this is in the book or not, but sometimes I give this example. Uh, my wife, let's say, volunteers and says, honey, I'll take your shirts to the laundry if you put them on the gold chair. I said, oh, honey, that'll be good. That'll mm-hmm. help me. So I put them on the gold chair. I go off to work. I come back that night. I walk in, and those dirty shirts are still in the chair. <laughs> and this anger grabs me. Can't trust the woman. <laughs> what is her problem? <laughs> She's a liar. <laughs> yeah. So I ask people, did she sin against me? Did she do wrong? Mm. And and one will someone will say, well, yeah, man, she lied to you. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> but I say I doubt it. 
Yeah. I have, an, I have a, uh, an idea that if I say to her, honey, my shirts, she will say, oh, honey, I am so I sorry. Totally I forgot. totally forgot. Yeah. forgot about it. And I say forgetting is not a sin. Right. Forgetting is human. All of us. Uh, from time to time, forget things. So yeah. uh, a lot of our anger falls in that category. Do you sense, I, I always hear that anger is like a secondary emotion, not like it comes from something else. Have you heard that? Well, I think it's often tied to other things. Uh, for example, like guilt. Hurt. Yeah. You hurt, you know, it goes out of hurt. And that's why people, I, I think, sometimes say, I'm not angry, I'm just hurt. You mm-hmm. know? So I think hurt and disappointment, there, there are a lot of emotions that surround anger. But the very heart of anger is this is this emotion that pushes you uh, kind of against that person. Yeah. You know, whereas kindness pushes you toward the person. Anger pushes you either to run away from the person or to fight the person. Yeah. Uh, that, that, those are typical responses. I, I notice, too, that um, sometimes when I'm most angry, it's when I'm when I'm in a sin or when I'm doing something not right. Like when when my wife brings up. You know that I need to be home more, yeah. and I get I'm tr- I'm trying to make a living, and I get angry, and it's really more that I feel guilty because yeah, I do need to be home more. Yeah, and, and a lot of it is you know we feel that we get defensive because it strikes at our self esteem. Yeah, you know, and, and anytime something strikes at our self esteem, uh, we feel defensive toward the person, and defensiveness is is a, is, is a cousin to anger, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's that thing that pushes us to kind of lash back at the person. Yeah, good stuff. We're going to take a break. We're speaking with Dr. Gary Chapman, author, speaker, pastor, counselor, and uh, author of, I mean, he's just a best-selling author, but one of the ones I'm sure you've heard of is the book called The Five Love Languages, which has changed so many lives. And uh, today we're talking about anger in his new book, Anger, Taming a Powerful Emotion, his new old book. Um Anyway, great stuff, great insight. We'll take a break, come back, and start getting some tools and some solutions to tame that powerful emotion of anger. Stick with us, folks. More with Gary Chapman after the break. To the Matt Townsend Show. Joining us uh, is a New York Times bestseller, uh, best-selling author, Dr. Gary Chapman. Just an all-around great guy. Uh, talking today about his book, Anger, Taming a Powerful Emotion. Um, he's also written the book, obviously, The Five Love Languages. And if you go to his website, fivelovelanguages.com, you can get access to all of his books. Gary has been very, very, very busy writing books. It is amazing. Gary, how do you do it? How have you put together so many books? Do you ever sleep? You know, man, I look back and ask myself, when did I write these books? I know you're like, but it really is cool. I, I sit there because I, I have so many ideas in my head for books, but I can't sit down and do it. So you must you're, you must just have a really patient wife. Well, well, maybe that's true. Oh, that is true. And our kids are gone, too. That helps. Okay. Does that help? You know? <laughs> is, it, is it easier when you're a little older, Gary, to sit and write, and, or is it harder? 
Well, I think it's easier because you have more life experience. Yeah, you're rich. Off, yeah, you know. Yeah, and as and as I said, the kids are gone, so you don't have to be thinking about them. You know, but, or you think about them, but yeah, <laughs> they're yeah. not in the house anymore. That's right, and you can <laughs> even you know go spend two or three hours a day writing. But really, anybody just go to the website Five Love Languages, and then look up under his books. Literally, I don't know how many, 20, 30 books or something. Well, over, over 30. Yeah. I don't know how many exactly. It myself. just keeps going and going. It's yeah. awesome. <laughs> and then the one we're talking about today is anger, taming a powerful emotion. Um, Gary, talk to me about what what am I supposed to do to start to tame this emotion, to, to kind of knock it down so it doesn't own me? Well, I think the first thing, Matt, is to acknowledge that you are angry. You know, we talked about this yeah. in this first segment. People have to acknowledge they're angry. And then secondly, I think you have to learn how to restrain your immediate response mm. because your immediate response will likely be negative. Right. Uh, and there's different ways to do that. You know, when I was coming up, my mother said to me, son, when you get angry, count to 10 uh-huh. before you do anything. Right. You know, many mothers have said that. Yeah. And I say, uh, mother was on the right track. But I suggest you count to 100, yeah, 1,000. I do, too. And I always <laughs> suggest backwards enough, you know? <laughs> by sevens from a million. It, yeah. That's just a way yeah. to, to give you time to calm down, to think through you know, what would be a positive thing to do here. Uh, one lady told me, she said, I, I decided that when I feel angry, I'm going to go water my flowers. Hmm. She said, the first summer I did that, I almost drowned my petunias. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. But, uh, you know, you find a way. Uh, I say to couples in my marriage seminars that I lead across the country, I say, you know, you can just call time out. Yeah. You can use the time out sign that they use in athletic games. You know, just put the two hands together. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that means I'm about to lose it. And I don't want to lose it. So, you know, you should give the time out sign, start counting, and walk out. That's the great. You, you, know? you don't suggest we blow a whistle, though, do you? Seems no, like the whistle so. might make someone mad and point at the other. Yeah. You know, Matt, some people tell me when I share this concept, they say, well, I, I can't do that. You know, I get angry, it mm-hmm. just comes out, and I can't stop it. And I say, I think you can, and sometimes you do. And I give this example. I say, have you mothers ever lost it with your children, and you're giving it to them, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, and the telephone rings? And what do you do? Hello, you're oh, nice hello, again. Mary. Yeah. Oh, yes, we're fine, Mary. How are you? Right, right. You can switch. <laughs> we stopped it in the middle of the flow. Right. So, you know, we can do it. And the challenge is to, to learn how to do that. Give yourself time to slow down. Then, while you're walking around, out of the room, taking a little walk, you reflect on what happened that stimulated your anger. Mm. And this is where you're asking yourself the question, is what happened wrong did they really sin against me? Did they commit a wrong? Or is it simply I didn't get my way? That's because great. Because those are the two kinds of anger, definitive anger and distorted anger. And if it, you realize that you simply didn't get your way or they didn't do it on your timetable, then you can, you can deal with that. You know, I, I say take it to God and just say, you know, Lord, forgive me for being so selfish, so self-centered that I would get bent out of shape over something like that. Now, you can still go back and negotiate with your spouse, you know, in, in terms of how might we do this differently if, it's a, if, it's a, if you're angry at your spouse. Uh, but if it's definitive anger, if, if they did wrong to you, whether it's a spouse or anyone else, then uh, scriptures are very clear. You're to go to that person and lovingly confront them Yeah, not, share your anger with them. Not avoid uh, it, right? You, you need to go right. get it out of you. Right. I, I suggest that people put uh, these words on a 3 by 5 card. 
and I suggest this in the book. And here, here's the word yeah. right on the card. I'm feeling angry right now, but don't worry. I'm not going to attack you, but I do need your help. Is this a good time to talk? Mm. You put it on the refrigerator, and any time you get angry with a family member, you go get the card, you stand in front of them, and you read the card. There you go, yeah. <laughs> now imagine your teenager standing in front of you reading this card, okay? <laughs> it brings a little uh, humor into it, but it also is a way uh, for a family to teach each other how to handle anger, how to go to the person that you're angry with and acknowledge that you're not going to attack them, <laughs> but uh. you do need their help. And so you get the conversation started. So whatever method you do, we have to learn how to, I say, lovingly confront. You don't want to go, you know. Take them on, right. That's right. No, but you want to, to, maybe you did misunderstand it, and maybe the person will give you an explanation and your anger will subside. Hmm. On the other hand, maybe what you think happened did happen, and they have a chance to say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Is that how you forgive? I mean, is that is it the process of this, Gary, that allows me to let it go, um, or it what is. happens? Yeah, I think it is. Forgiveness is a response to a sincere apology. You know, this is this is what happens between us and God. You know, if you do wrong, the scriptures say, confess it to God, and He forgives you. Yeah, you know? yeah. And uh, so I think forgiveness is a response to. Uh, to an apology. Now, people say, "Well, can't you just forgive people even though they don't apologize?" Well, I'd rather you. I'd rather rather than using the word forgive, I'd rather say you release that person. I like that. Now, if you want to use the word forgive, it's okay. Uh, you release that person to God, and you release your anger to God. And essentially, what you're saying is, you know, I've gone to them, I've confronted them. Uh, they deny it, or they say it wasn't wrong, uh, or whatever, and you just say, you know, Lord, I don't want to live with this anger inside of me. Hmm. I want to turn it over to you, and I want to turn the person over to you. And when you put someone in the hands of God, you're putting them into one who is both loving and just. Yeah, yeah. If that person, If that person ever confesses, then God will forgive them. If they don't, the Bible says God is the ultimate judge. You know, and he he will judge sin. So I think we uh, we have to recognize that we don't have to live with the anger inside. We do everything we can to reconcile, but if if they won't reconcile, then we simply release them and release our anger to God. Do I do? You always hear the phrase "forgive and forget." Yeah. Do is is forgetting realistic, or is that just a blessing, a, a tender mercy? I, I think forgetting is not uh, realistic. Uh, I don't think that old saying is true. Yeah. Everything that's ever happened to us is recorded in the brain. Yeah, right. And, For, and it though, should be, or you're you're getting dementia, right? I mean, you need right. this yeah. memory. Yes, yes. And the memory will come back. Even after they've confessed yeah. or apologized, and after you forgive them, the memory will come back. And when the memory comes back, often the anger comes back, the emotion comes right. back. And uh, what do we do with that? I think, again, we say to ourselves, we say to the person, we say to God, whomever's involved here, you know, yes, you know what I'm remembering today, and yes, I'm feeling anger again, I'm feeling hurt again, but that's been forgiven. Mm -hmm. Therefore, help me to do something good today and not be controlled by the pain I'm feeling right now. And and it seems like when God was, if he's involved in it and you feel the peace of it, over time, that memory will turn probably to a healthy moment of you getting closer to God. Yeah, I think the memory diminishes. Yeah, changes. Years, you know, yeah. And you you realize what God has done for us. Yeah. <laughs> Man, how much he's forgiven us, you mm-hmm. know. 
and so you're you're willing to let it go, and the memory and the memory is not a sharp memory anymore. Ah, it's so it's such a it's such a blessing if we can get to that point, or when we can. Again, we're speaking with Dr. Gary Chapman, uh, author of the book of the Five Love Languages, and also the book Anger: Taming a Powerful Emotion. Uh, Dr. Chapman, talk to us about the kids because. It seems like the perfect place to model this and even model those steps of acknowledging and restraining and timing it out and reflecting, it seems like it's the kids that would be a beautiful place to to teach this with our family. Well, it is. And, and the children who learn how to handle anger when they're young will have less trouble uh, mismanaging their anger when they get to be old. Uh, but I would say this, Matt. Children learn best from our own behavior. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if if a parent says to me, my, my son or daughter is yelling and screaming at me, I ask, where did they learn that? Right. <laughs> Chances right. Are you have yelled and screamed at them. I remember a 13-year-old who sat in my office, a young man, and he said, my father yells and screams at me, telling me to stop yelling and screaming at him. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I say to parents, and, and I speak out of personal experience here because I remember when I I wasn't handling my anger very well with my teenage son, and I remember the day I said to him, Derek, you know I'm not doing a good well. I, I'm, I'm not doing very well handling my anger, and I said, and you're you're following my example. And I said, so why don't we learn how to do this? Uh, so the next time you feel angry, why don't you just say to me, Dad, I'm feeling angry. Can we talk? And I'll sit down and listen to you, and we'll deal with it. And mm. the next time I feel angry towards you, I'll say the same thing. You know, I'm feeling angry. Can we talk? And we begin to learn how to process anger in a positive way. And I think many parents uh, have to begin by apologizing to their yeah. children and just say, I haven't handled this very well, but I'd like to learn how, and let's learn it together. In fact, you've written an entire book on apologizing. Yes, I have. It's called When Sorry Isn't Enough. Yeah. And uh, deals with how to apologize. I mean, these are also basic human issues, aren't they? This is just being human. Well, it is, uh, Matt. And, you know, all of my books uh, basically grow out of uh, my counseling ministry through the years. For over 35 years, mm. now, I've been counseling couples and families. And, and so my books grow out of that because the, the, the things we struggle with as humans are, are common to yeah. all of us, you know. And, uh, I just believe if we can learn how to handle some of these basic things like anger and apologizing, uh, it's going to get us far down the road in having healthy families, which is what all of us would like to have. Absolutely. Well, what do you see, Gary, as a grandpa, as a dad? Uh, I mean, what what do you see happens to you as you get older, as you age? Does Does anger... Does it stay the same level? Do you tend to just naturally manage it better? Does it seem to get worse? How does that go as we age? You know, Matt, it's different, of course, with every person. You would like to think that as we get older, we get wiser. Yeah, you'd think so. <laughs> it's not but happening. If you're not learning, if you're not learning in the process, yeah. it doesn't necessarily get better. So all of us know older people who are cranky, who mm-hmm. are critical, you know, and all of us know older people who are kind and gentle and, and forgiving and, you know, so it's not just the passing of time. We have to do something to deal with these issues. And that's where I think books and conversations like we're having right now yeah. can stimulate people to say, you know, I, I need to take some steps in the right direction here. And if we're moving in a positive direction, then yes, with aging, we, we become better at handling these things. What, so do you feel, when I run into somebody, not literally, 
that would be bad. <laughs> but when I just come across somebody that that's angry and they're angry at me, I guess you're suggesting the best way to kind of get going on that is just pull out that that note. I'm feeling angry, or I can see you're feeling angry right now. Can we? Yeah. Can we make this safe and talk about it? Yeah, I think so, Matt. You know, when when a person's angry with you, whether it's your teenager, your wife, or your next-door neighbor, when someone's angry at you, it's because in their mind you have wronged them. So the best thing you can do is listen to them. Mm. Listen to them. And, And even if they're yelling at you, listen to them. And parents say, wait a minute, I don't want my child to be yelling at me. And I say, I understand that. But right now, you have to deal with the anger. So listen to them, even if they're screaming. And then and, and ask questions. You know, is this what you're saying? Are you angry because da-da-da-da? And they say, well, that's part of it. Right. And they give you the rest of it. You're trying to find out why they're angry. Then you can have an intelligent response. Yeah. You can say, you know, I, uh, <clears throat> I think I understand you. I think I see why you're angry. And if I were in your shoes, I'd probably be angry too. And you would be. Mm-hmm. If you had their personality and you were their age and you were looking at it like they were looking at it, you would feel angry. Yeah. So when you say that, you're no longer an enemy. You're a friend. Mm-hmm. You know, I understand. I would probably be angry also. Now, let me share with you what I was thinking or let me share with you my perspective. And because you have listened to them, they're far more likely to listen to you and you'll get the issue resolved. Yeah. And yeah, let me give you this, some other data you may not have known. Um, yeah, it's right. it's powerful too because as you listen to them, you allow them to kind of vent the emotion of it while you increase your understanding. So you're getting data, and you're also kind of diminishing their energy. Yeah, that's right. And then the next day, if it's a teenager, you can say to to them, you know, uh, I think we got through that yesterday pretty well. Do you feel okay about it? Yeah. And then see, and then you can say, why don't we learn how to do that without yelling at each other? Hey, next time, can you not punch the wall? Yeah, right. (laughs) Yeah, right. But you fix it later, right? You fix it later, and you understand it today. Yeah, absolutely. That's beautiful, Um, Gary. As we wrap this up, give us what would you say is is the one thing? So, if everybody could walk away remembering one thing from what Dr. Gary Chapman said about anger, what's the one thing that you you sense makes the biggest difference? In managing, I would say I would say recognize first of all that anger is a gift. It's a part of being human, and it's good that we have a sense of right and wrong. And then respect other people when they come at you in an angry way. Respect them as a person, and know that if you were in their shoes, you'd be angry as well. And let's seek to process it, not hold it in. Don't explode, and don't hold it in and implode, but learn how to process it in a positive way. Beautiful. Dr. Gary Chapman, again, an honor to be with you. You've got a great spirit. Thank you, Matt. Good to chat with you. You too. Keep up the great work. And everybody, go check out the website, 5, the number 5, lovelanguages.com, 5lovelanguages.com. Just a great resource all around for everything you need in your marriage and uh, even your parenting as well. Good stuff, folks. We're going to take a break. I mean, isn't that interesting? Anger is a gift. Oh, but it feels so bad sometimes. No, it's a gift. It's a cue. It teaches you where you need to be, where you need to focus your attention. Great stuff. Uh, We'll take a break, folks. Stick with us. We'll come back to a quick little coach's corner. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio.
Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Great discussion with Dr. Gary Chapman, and I see it all the time in the coaching I do with couples and relationships. I'm telling you, there's just, there's anger. And again, we're, we're all so afraid of it, but one of the big takeaways I had uh, from Gary Chapman's work is it's not, you don't need to fret it. You don't need to fear anger. You don't even need to actually like adjust and try to stuff it and avoid it. You just need to recognize it's a gift. It's just a gift. It to me, it's like a. It's just a road sign, you know. So when you're going down the road and you see a sign that says, you know, your exit is your is the next exit you need to take. You don't get mad. You don't freak out about it. It's just a sign. You don't hate it. But anger is just a sign of where somebody is. And one of the interesting things I think that's important to recognize is sometimes, as he was saying, you you truly definitively have have been harmed. You know, if somebody just crashed into your car, it would be natural, I guess, to have anger because now you're going to have to go deal with your car. But a lot of times the anger is not definitive like somebody hitting your car. It's more like, you know, they said they'd pick you up and they're 20 minutes late. And we a lot of times turn and use our mind to create a lot of these issues. We've had guests on the show before that said, if you would just allow an emotion to be there, the emotion will usually subside in about 90 seconds. In 90 seconds, anger would probably go away. Unless, of course, you you know, put a lot of fuel on the fire and put charcoal and a lot of wood and some kerosene and just keep fueling it. Just keep thinking and adding to it. So one of the things I would just suggest as a little quick uh, recap, let's make sure, too, that as you're dealing with your own emotion and your anger, recognize that your emotions come from your thinking, right? So thoughts lead to feelings. Feelings lead to actions. Actions lead to what you're becoming. If you want to work on your feelings more, you're going to have to start to evaluate your thinking, And Dr. Chapman was saying a great thing to do once you've actually recognized your emotion um, is to go back and start thinking about where it came from. And if you start identifying the thought, you might start to see a trigger thought, a thought that really is deep down. For example, a lot of times uh, I've seen when I've seen people that are angry, I see really what they're angry about is there's some trigger that's been hit. And it might be an insecurity. I had a I had a, a man in my office uh, recently who was really struggling because his wife keeps, he says, nitpicking. And when she's nitpicking and just henpecking him and, and beating him down on what a bad daddy is and he's never home and he's always doing whatever, how he starts to feel angry. And he goes, I just blow up and I get angry. And I ask, I ask what, what specifically was he thinking when – she was uh, henpecking and nitpicking him. And he told me about the emotions and he shared the emotions. And then I asked, where in your life have, have you ever felt that emotion? He basically said, I feel judged. I feel critiqued. I feel like I'm less than. I feel like I'm no good. And I go, when else in your life have you ever felt like that? When do you remember feeling that similar feeling? And it went way back into elementary school when he had a medical issue that um, made him look different than everybody in the classroom. And it made him feel less than. It made him feel weak. It made him feel not good enough. 
And so I asked, is it possible that really all she's doing is pushing on that one button that keeps making you go back to your little five, your little, you know, 10-year-old kid when you felt critiqued and, and emotionally abused and less than? So in reality, anger then just tends to be perpetuated by his lack of never really having dealt with those feelings back then. So watch out for it. That's why anger could be your great gift. As long as you don't turn your anger into something else, and that was a really great idea that uh, he came up with, but just simply writing down, I'm feeling angry right now. Don't worry, I'm not going to attack you, so you're safe. I do need your help, so can we talk about it? Three very simple lines. Interesting stuff. But remember, the problem, anytime you think the problem is outside of you, anytime you think it's your wife or the person that hit you, that made you go off and then, you know, start a fight on the side of the road. Anytime you think the problem is outside of you, that very thought may very well be the problem. Don't put all your power outside of yourself or you're going to have no power. Fairly basic, eh? It's a coach's corner. We'll take a break. Come back next hour. More ideas, more tools to help you find the good in the world. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here. Your life coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. Top of the morning to you. Another day. You're, you've done it. You're up. You're Adam. Another day. Life is good, right? Even if it's a hard day for you, your life is definitely better than Kenzo Roberts. You may have heard this story. Kenzo Roberts uh, had been handcuffed, allegedly handed uh, after handing officers some fake identity papers, and was he was later charged with possessing concealed weapon and counterfeit credit cards. So they put him in the back of a, a police officer's car, I guess, or a paddy wagon of some sort. And while he was back there, uh, you know, the video cameras were on. And while he's back there, he's like chewing his fingertips off. <laughs> Apparently it sounded like that. Just, Wow. He's just going at it. He's trying to nibble off the ends of his digits. He just doesn't want to be pegged for certain crimes, right? He's pulled over in a 2015 Mercedes that, by the way, had been reported stolen. And uh, then he's got concealed weapon. He's got counterfeit credit cards. He's in trouble. And he's arrested. But it just seems like, you know, you got 10 fingers. Plus you have DNA. (laughs) If, they've, if you've been in the system, they may have some DNA on you anyway. You know, there's just a point where, you know, you've been caught. Quit nibbling on your fingertips. Holy cow. Hey, happy underwear day. It's a great day to be alive. It's a great day to, to have, I guess, undergarments. Every day we try to point out the good day. And it's underwear day. Yeah, we got to dig deeper. We got to dig a lot deeper on the show. 
we got a great show for you today. Uh, anxious brains. Have you ever noticed that, uh, you know, some people just have anxiety, right? And then have you noticed that maybe their kids have anxiety and their kids have anxiety? Well, some of the research that we're going to be getting into today is about anxious brains and how we may be handing down more anxious types of brains to our kids. On average, about 18% of U.S. adults have anxiety disorders. They usually start about 11 years old. Uh, 7% of, uh, of those also lead to major, or 7% of the population also has at least one major depressive episode in their life. We'll be talking about anxiety and anxious brains uh, in a few minutes with Dr. Ned Kalin. He's going to give us some uh, insight into what you know drives our brain and what, uh, is it hereditary? How does that work? And what we could be doing about our anxious brains, especially with our kids, based on some recent studies he's conducted at the University of Wisconsin. He'll be with us in a bit. But before we do that. Let's go to the headlines, see if there's any anxiety-driving headlines. There always are, Matt. Always. Good morning. President Obama says the upcoming congressional vote on the Iran nuclear deal is the nation's most important foreign policy debate since the authorization of the Iraq war. Obama will make his case today during his speech at American University, the same place President John F. Kennedy called for Cold War diplomacy and nuclear disarmament. Obama says the deal cuts off all of Iran's pathways to a bomb, something many on both sides disagree with. Congress is expected to vote on the pact next month. Donald Trump will be front and center in tomorrow night's first GOP debate. RNC Chairman Reince Priebus talked about the Republican frontrunner. I think that people are upset with government. I think they're upset with both parties. And I think Donald Trump's tapping into that. I actually think it could be quite good for our party because I think what you're seeing is a lot of people that were frustrated with politics are saying, well, maybe I've got an outlet here. And if they're coming and tuning into our debate tomorrow night and getting involved in our party, I think that that ultimately could be very helpful. Fox News announced a list for the primetime debate, which includes Jeb Bush and Scott Walker on each side of Trump. Joining Mike Huckabee, Dr. Ben Carson, Ted Cruz, Marco Rubio, Rand Paul, Chris Christie, and John Kasich. That debate will begin at 7 p.m. Eastern time. The rest of the field will debate two hours earlier. Hillary Clinton's server she used for email while Secretary of State is reportedly under investigation by the FBI. The focus is on the security of sensitive information once housed on the server in her New York home. In Intelligence officials are concerned some of that sensitive information was not in the government's possession and could be compromised. The information is now apparently on a thumb drive and in the possession of her attorney. California's massive Rocky Fire is now 20 percent contained thanks to cooler weather and rain. So far, the fire has burned 67,000 acres covering an area of 100 square miles north of San Francisco. California Fire spokesman Jay Smith says the damage is devastating. I've never seen a fire move like this. At a vantage point like this, uh, when you look out, you can see the devastation, and it's, uh, it's shocking. The Rocky Fire blaze is one of 30 major wildfires burning in the West. A 457-page transcript was released yesterday from the Deflategate investigation. Under oath, New England quarterback Tom Brady denied he tampered with footballs or asked anyone from the team to do so. The transcript also shows investigator Ted Wells found text messages between Brady and a pair of equipment managers discussing the preparation of footballs for the conference championship game against the Colts. Brady was suspended four games and punished punishment upheld by NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell. Both sides went to federal court with U.S. District Judge Richard Berman telling both sides to work it out. And a woman in Germany, Matt, called authorities recently because she said she was being stalked 
by a squirrel. Oh, those are the worst. Isn't that the worst? Yeah. The woman panicked because she couldn't shake the rodent, so police took the squirrel in and found it was suffering from exhaustion. <laughs> a fisher, a fishers helped the animal recover by feeding it pieces of apple and honey tea. The squirrel will be transferred to a local animal shelter once it how, has recovered. How did they know the squirrel was suffering from exhaustion? Because they took it in and did testing on it and found that it was very tired. <laughs> so what are you feeling? <laughs> oh, you're tired, are you? <laughs> that is so... Oh, you yeah, know and what? I guess on the... Oh. On the uh, their German, the website that, where the animal is being taken care of, I mean, it's had like 500,000 views of this poor little rodent that was so tired and <laughs> apparently a stalking a woman. Well, that's what happens. When you're tired, you do get more clingy. Mm-hmm. So this poor little rodent was, was probably just, just wanting like, food. He was like, hold me. Help me. Just help me. Just cuddle me. Do you have any peanuts I can eat? <laughs> Isn't that cute? Oh, but yes. she was like worried. And, she was very worried, very panicked, and you know, calling in, police. It well, just won't leave me alone. It's funny because in some states they wouldn't just call the cops. They just, just like, shoot it. honey, get the twenty-two. <laughs> <laughs> this uh, I'm going to put this little squirrel out of its misery. <laughs> he seems really. And I'm sure you've had squirrel. Yeah, you've oh, squirrel. have you had squirrel? Yeah, it tastes like chicken. Tastes like yep, chicken. Uh-huh. The other white meat. <laughs> I don't know if it is white meat. People people eat squirrel. Oh, they do. Yeah, yeah. Oh. No, thanks. We used to catch uh, squirrels at scout camp. You let him go, we, right? We, sure. Sure. We did. After we shaved him. <laughs> After we not. shaved him bald, <laughs> you bet. No, we uh, we actually got in a boat. We caught him in a snare trap. We were just having fun. You know, this was back mm-hmm. in the day before you, when you could do this with animals. And we'd just, we'd just catch him. We wouldn't kill him. We caught him in a fishnet. It was really cool. And uh, then we'd put him, take him out on a boat, a canoe. Across the lake on an island in the know. middle of the lake. I'm really worried about and we'd what release the ending is here. Oh, okay. And then, then we were so excited. And then the next day, we'd go back to the island. To they were gone. St- they were gone. They swam. They were, they, and they left a note. <laughs> Demanding. Dear white boy, <laughs> you will die tonight. We are oh, after you. And we then are going we were to scared. stalk you. Two, we lost two scouts that trip. Mm. We found them out on an island, tied up with a bunch of uh, squirrels. Uh, you know, there's just some things I don't want to ask my boys what they did at, at Yeah, don't at ever camp. ask. I don't even want to know. Scout camp is like Vegas. Just What's, what goes on there stays, stays there. there. Uh, We're all sworn idea. by oath. Unless, of course, your leaders tell on you or the police are involved. Go and talk to your bishop. It's pretty basic stuff. Well, cool. So the, the poor squirrel, just exhausted. So... You know, today we're talking about anxious brains. Maybe there's anxious squirrels. Twenty percent ish, eighteen percent of the population in the U.S. have uh, experienced some anxiety disorder in the past year. So we're going to be talking with an expert, Dr. Ned Kalin will be joining us in just a few minutes. He is the chair of psychiatry at University of Wisconsin Madison School of Medicine and Public Health. He's here to talk about anxious brains. Are they inherited? We'll find out. Do we hand that down to our kids? We'll find out. It actually might not be bad because then at least we can learn skills as a family and maybe control some of these things in the family. We'll be talking to the experts about anxiety and anxious brains. Up next, stick with us, folks. This is The Matt Townsend Show.
Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, we are uh, trying to get on our next guest, Dr. Ned Kalin, uh, who has done some great research on the anxious brain. And about 18% of the U.S. uh, adult population have experienced an anxiety disorder in the past year. And some of the research that he's been doing is trying to figure out what uh you know what what's the impact of this are is this ang- is this anxious brain and this anxious temperament is it something that we hand down from parent to child and i'm telling you i see it all the time in my own practice i see it with uh with clients and i even i can see it in my own family it's a really really important issue if 20% or so of the population feels more social anxiety a little more stressed um it's it's going to impact, right? And it doesn't just mean that, you know, that don't just sit there and think, yeah, oh, they're just strange because they're anxious. This, this could also become a gift in a way because some parts of anxiety might make uh, children more attentive, more empathic, more open to certain stimuli. And and in a way, look, if you go down the list of all of the uh, the well-known actors, comedians that you see – Many of them um, have actually been diagnosed with anxiety or depression or some form of, of, of those. And I think it actually energizes. I think it adds to their ability to see the funny or to see uh, the interesting parts of life. And so if it's such a big issue in our world and there's so much anxiety going on, wouldn't it make sense that we figure out what's the cause of it? Where does it come from? Is it is it inherited from our families? So we've asked Dr. Ned Kalin to join us. He is a researcher um, and a, a professor and chair of psychiatry at the University of Wisconsin, and they've recently conducted a study examining the hereditary nature of the anxious brain. He joins us now to give us some uh, insight and input on what he's learned. Dr. Kalin, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thank you very much. Great to have you here. And talk to us about uh, your research on the anxious brain and anxious temperament. Well, what we're very interested in is exactly what you started off with, which is um, trying to understand better ways to help people who suffer from both anxiety and depression. And one of the interesting things that we've learned over the years is that uh, these problems tend to start very early in life. Hmm. And what we've called anxious temperament is this disposition that young children have actually uh, who that are extremely anxious and they have a very very high risk of developing anxiety and depressive disorders so it's temperament you're calling it's a temperament or it's sort of a it's a style of behaving and experiencing emotion and some people we believe come into the world who are more sensitive to threatening situations and have more sort of innate anxiety and other people come into the world with less of that and those folks that come into the world with a lot of that are at a very high risk to develop significant problems as they develop later into childhood, adolescence, and early adulthood. It's, is temperament a spectrum then? So is it kind of some people have low anxious temperament, but they still have it, and some have really high anxious That's temperament? Right. So, okay. so we think of anxious temperament along a continuum. Yeah. So we think of some people being very low in that dimension, other people being in the middle, and other people being very high in that dimension. Hmm. And what we've done basically over the years has been to study this early in life two ways. One is to use uh, our evolutionary cousins, uh, non-human primates. Yeah. Um, and another way has been more recently over the last 
five to eight years is to actually study uh, very young children uh, who have this disposition. And we use brain imaging methods, and we also use uh, methods to understand how much of this is inherited versus hmm. how much of it is related to the environment. Um, that's so interesting. That's what a lot of our work has been because it's. I mean, it seems like the monkeys are one thing it, to study. It seems like studying an infant would be difficult as well. How do you how do you recognize the temperament, the anxious temperament in a, in an infant? Well, so that's an interesting question. But basically, uh, mostly what we st- um, are uh, are you still there? Yeah, we are. Yeah. Okay, there was some quick on that. Mostly, what we study. Um, uh, in my laboratory are young children, hmm. um, but we are also I'm also involved with a larger study um, that is actually looking at young babies. Um, and um, what we notice in young children, toddlers, for example, and older uh, children who are in the first, second, third grade, is that um, these are kids that are extremely shy. Hmm. Um, and so it's not just the normal shyness. If you ask parents or if you ask children if they're shy, many kids will say yes, and many parents will say yes. But that's sort of a normal kind of thing, the normal reticence. But this is extremely, extremely shy. And associated with that is also increased reactivity of the, of, uh, the physiology that underlies the response to fearful situations. So, for example, these kids tend to have higher levels of stress hormones huh. and tend to be more reactive in a variety of ways. And so there's some very specific behavioral tests that we can use to decide where they are on this continuum of anxious temperament. Because if they have the anxious temperament, a certain percentage of those might eventually then, you're saying, turn it into, or it might turn into an an anxiety disorder. Right. So what we know from many studies in the field at this point is that if if you're extreme in this dimension, um, your likelihood of developing anxiety, an anxiety disorder, depressive disorder, or substance abuse that's associated with sort of self-treatment. Sure, yeah, medication, yeah. Yeah, is about 50%. Wow. So one out of two children will likely develop significant problems that can be disabling for them. And so this is probably the best early marker that we have yeah. of the likelihood of developing this type of a problem. And what we've done in our non-human primates and our monkey studies is basically been able to demonstrate that monkeys also have this spectrum of anxious temperament ranging from being very low in anxious temperament to middle to being extreme. And we've been able to use the non-human primates to do studies that are identifying which brain circuits are important and understanding this issue related to heritability. Well, that's To me, I mean, then all of a sudden you could probably teach cognitive skills when they're younger to manage. I mean, I guess what is the difference between the 50 percent that do take on um, anxiety disorders versus those right. that don't? Is there some other different intervention or application I mean, that, that, that happens? That, that is the $64 million yeah. question. See, that's why because, I should have been a psychiatrist. Right, Man. exactly. Because if we can understand why, why, if everybody sort of looks the same, and that, that is that they're extreme on this anxious temperament dimension at six years of age, yeah. why is it that only half develop problems and half don't? And um, we actually have recently got a grant from the National Institute of Health to, at, to study that question. Good. What we're going to do is we're going to identify, and in this case, young girls, because girls actually have a greater risk of developing anxiety and depression when they become adolescents. So what, why is that, young, do you sense? Well, I'll, I'll come back to that in a yeah. minute. But yeah, we're going to identify young girls that uh, have high anxious temperament who are pre-adolescents, hmm. and then we're going to follow them every year with brain imaging and also with a variety of other measures 
to understand how does the brain change in relation to whether you develop the problem or whether you actually sort of spontaneously recover. And we hope that that's going to provide us some insights into how we can make some interventions, what brain systems we should try to strengthen. Because, I mean, I just look at it, if it is hereditary, I mean, there could be a really profound influence by the parents in hand. I mean, I would assume a parent that has it, that has an anxious tendency, um, that has also learned skills through life to manage their own, might be able to parent a child with the same tendency. That's correct. And so, so, you know, what we've found out is that roughly a third of, uh, of anxious temperament is something we inherit from our parents, and the other two-thirds looks like it's related to environment. Hmm. And the recent study that we published demonstrated which brain, parts of the brain are actually uh, conveying the parent-to-child transmission of this temperament. Hmm. So what, we've, what we're learning is how do the parents' genes that they pass on to the kid result in the likelihood of developing anxious temperament? What we're learning is because it's influencing certain brain regions that are also inherited from the standpoint of being overactive. What's interesting, though, is because, as you point out, because uh, two-thirds of the of this is related to environment, uh, parenting obviously becomes very, very important. Right. And you could imagine uh, if a parent is more likely to have this, which they are, um, that they could be uh, very experienced in how to deal with it. Or not, or, right? Or yeah. They also, they also could be not so experienced, <laughs> yeah. in fact, still be struggling with it in a way that even though they believe they're helping their child, they're sort of yeah. unwit- unwittingly making things worse. Yeah, I would, see, I would say, I'd sense an anxious parent could create a nightmare for an anxious temperament child. Could or actually could have learned ways that right. uh, can help, them, help teach their child to cope. Well, I mean, how powerful is that? I mean, because this isn't going away. This is. I think it's. I think it's very, very powerful and very important. And I think that, you know, the greater recognition that we have of this, uh, and the earlier we can think about detecting it, then we can make these interventions with children and parents. Yeah. You know, to help them overcome this lifelong struggle that they might face. Let's, you know, anxiety disorders in the past have been sort of trivialized. Yeah, They've not right. been seen as, you know, major problems, but that's far from the truth. Significant anxiety, and anybody that has significant anxiety will tell you, um, is very disabling, and uh, people would, you know, frequently trade serious anxiety for other illnesses that uh, people think of as being pretty, pretty bad. Mm-hmm. So it's a big problem. It's very common. It can be very disabling. And I think we now have an opportunity to think about early interventions. And the scientific work that we're doing, um, we believe, will lead us to think about interventions that are based on the science of the brain right. and will help us get much more accurate in thinking about what types of interventions, measuring how those interventions affect the brain, and then hopefully intervening early in a way that we can change how children's brains develop who have this risk. Mm. Again, we're talking with Dr. Ned Kalin. We're going to take a break. Uh, He's the chair of psychiatry at the University of Wisconsin-Madison School of Medicine and Public Health. We'll come back more with Dr. Kalin on anxiety and this anxious temperament, as well as getting some tools, some ideas for what we could be doing as parents that might... Uh, you know, help mitigate or, you know, enhance their ability to handle anxiety. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. 
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. On the phone with us is Dr. Ned Kalin. Uh, he is the Hedberg Professor and Chair of Psychiatry at the University of Wisconsin-Madison School of Medicine and Public Health. He is uh, currently doing extensive research in the area of anxious temperament. And they're finding out that uh, people can be born with a temperament, anxious temperament, which eventually can, be, can lead to uh, anxiety disorders later in life. And they're finding out they can actually identify that temperament early. And then they're going to continue learning uh, what, what you can then do with it. Do we change interventions with kids that have that temperament? Are there certain protocols, certain things we should do? They're, they're just trying to figure out anxiety, which affects about 18% of the population. And on the same spectrum, if I'm correct, we'll ask Dr. Kalin, uh, on the same spectrum of anxiety is depression. Is that correct, Dr. Kalin? That, that is correct. Uh, anxiety and depression frequently uh, co-occur, and um, they come together. Sometimes individuals can start out being anxious and then get depressed, and sometimes it goes the other way. And frequently they can be both, both there. Um, so we actually think that uh, the early expression of both of these disorders frequently can be um, this, this early uh, marker, early in life, what we've called anxious temperament. And then, so in all of your studies, whether it's with like the rhesus monkeys or with the, the, the children that you're working with, you basically can just test, you put them in more stressful situations and you see, you see how they're handling it, I guess. What right? we do is we, with children and with, uh, with our monkeys, we expose them to what we think is a mildly threatening situation where we bring a stranger into the room. Hmm. And we look to see how both the monkey and the child behaves. And uh, a child or a monkey that has extreme anxious temperament will uh, freeze in one position and stop talking um, and get very, very still yeah. and look quite fearful. And if we were to measure the hormones uh, during that time, we'd find that a stress hormone like cortisol goes way, way up. Um, whereas a child or a monkey that has, is low in anxious temperament would uh, continue to uh, play in the room, uh, would maybe the mom is in the room frequently, would, would run back to the mom, might start to cry if they were scared, or, or a bold child would even approach the stranger, perhaps, and start interacting. Right. It's interesting, because by, by identifying that there's a temperament, you now have, a, have an indicator, kind of the leading indicator of what eventually would be the disorder. Normally, we're just kind of always reacting to a disorder and then kind of handling it reactively, right? So right. you're trying to find a proactive methodology. Right. So, you know, I'm both a clinician and a researcher. Right. And, you know, my goal is to do whatever we can to reduce the suffering that's associated with this. And I treat mostly adults. Mm. And what I see is adults that have lifelong suffering, sometimes even going unrecognized. And so by the time they come in in their mid to late 20s or early 30s, um, they have a very long history of, of this that hasn't been addressed. And frequently, uh, that level of anxiety over time untreated, sometimes associated with depression, can result in, you know, not doing as well in school, uh, not taking advantage of as many opportunities that come your way, not doing well in social relationships. Mm. Um, so then your self-esteem is impacted? Yeah. Then, then self-esteem becomes impacted? Self-esteem, like... so someone can go from, you know, having confidence to having, you know, almost zero confidence in themselves. Yeah. Um, and, you know, sometimes the anxiety actually gets lost in all this because there's so many other 
areas in yep. their lives that are not working well. Especially they get into self-medicating, and then you're like, oh, yeah, my son's a drug addict. Right. But- and so, you know, imagine a, you know, an eight-year-old uh, kid that all of a sudden becomes extremely scared and uh, is fearful and doesn't want to go to school and has mm. trouble interacting at school. And, you know, over time, that child develops lower self-esteem, doesn't do as well in school, you know, starts hanging out with a crowd that may not be the best for them, uh, starts doing, getting into substances that mm-hmm. settle themselves down and being part of a different peer group and so on. And by the time they get to college, if they do get to college, I mean, you, these things add up, especially developmentally. Does does this ever get to a point, because it, it seems like, like you were saying earlier, it, anxiety is, is kind of diminished, it's poo-pooed, it's, it's not seen as... Right. As da- as pernicious as as other issues, is there a day that you could do a blood test or, you know, some type of very objective test to say your son has anxious temperament? Well, we can do that now. Can we, you? We, okay. We, we we can. It's not a blood test. It's this behavioral observation. Okay. So if we bring a, a child into the lab and um, put them in the situation and they ex- respond that you know in this extreme way. And then if we, one of the key things is to probably do this more than once, mm-hmm. because anybody can have a bad day. Sure. Um, and since we're talking about temperament, we're talking about something that's sort of enduring. So if we bring them back twice and they're like this, we can tell a parent that, hey, this is a kid that we need to, to sort of watch out for. It's not certain that he or she is going to develop problems, but there's roughly a 50% likelihood that it will happen. Yeah. And then, because that to me seems... Like finally, I guess that's one of the issues with the mental health world is it's you just it's almost like you just want an X-ray or you want an MRI or you want so if this could be validated and strongly then used, then we can then we can start testing other interventions through like you're going to. We could, and you know what we're trying to do is work on sort of the X-ray part of this. So by doing brain imaging, yeah, you know, um, and looking at stress hormones, we're trying to understand not just the behavioral but also what's happening in the brain and hopefully use that as a way to guide who's going to do well and Hmm. who's going to develop the problem so it might be for example in this study that we're planning to do when we study girls that are pre-adolescents that have this high level of anxious temperament that when we do the brain scans and then follow them over time, our hope is is that the brain scans will indicate who's going to develop problems and right. who isn't, even though at a behavioral level they all look the same. You, you could create a profile for what the temperament right. looks like in the brain. Right, exactly. Interesting. Does, get, just explain to us why maybe the young, uh, why girls, why, why women might be more prone to anxiety than than men on average. So this is a really interesting question, which isn't isn't understood fully, and one of the things that we and others are are, are definitely uh, trying to understand. Um, prior to adolescence, boys and girls have roughly an equal likelihood of developing anxiety and depression. Uh, but when hormones kick in, from the standpoint of sexual development with puberty and adolescence, girls uh, develop about a two to one risk compared to boys huh. developing anxiety and depression. And actually that continues throughout a, a woman's reproductive years. Hmm. And then with menopause, that risk decreases back to one to one. So, so there's a chemical. There's something, something going on that's hormonal. Yeah. People have thought that maybe it's a sort of a societal way of expressing yourself that men uh, uh, during those age periods do other things like drink more or act right. out more. But I don't believe that's the case. I think there's an interaction between some of the uh, female sex hormones and 
the brain systems that have to do with anxiety that makes them more vulnerable. Well, and that, and it seems like their chemistry is fluctuating uh, in between different doses of hormones versus the males that might it remain may, more constant. It may be. It may be. Huh. Um, and so, so uh, you know, if you're a young girl and you have anxious temperament, oh, yeah. you know, as an adolescent, your risk really goes up. Yeah, no, that's and that's huge. I, I had a son that um, has we figured out social anxiety, uh-huh. but he probably just had anxious temperament. But and we didn't know it until kindergarten right. when right. he would not go to kindergarten. Well, that that's actually the kind of kid that we're talking about. Yeah, and, uh, and it's not uncommon that parents don't recognize this early on, um, but when the children are faced with the challenges uh, that are away from their parents, away from home. You know, more more sort of stress is put on them socially. That's when this frequently emerges, and it frequently does emerge as what looks like social anxiety. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's the thing is you don't know what to call it: generalized anxiety, socialized anxiety, whatever it is. Though it would right. be great to know the temperaments there. Right. Exactly. And then, and then, especially because it's if it's definitive, like you're saying, then okay, we know we've got that. Is what what would be the actual difference of it of it breaking into a disorder? So that's another really interesting question. Um, uh, the way I think about it is that the temperament is um, the tendency to behave this way, um, and it's sort of extreme, but it doesn't really interfere with, uh, with day-to-day interactions. Yeah. But when uh, children become uh, sort of disabled so that they really refuse to go to school, or when they can't sleep at night at all, or when their stomachs are so bad that they have to have repeated visits to the pediatrician and things like that, then I would start thinking about that as a disorder. Okay. It really is an extremeness kind of issue. Sure, yeah. Um, it's it's now impacting. People, you know, there are people, what's interesting about anxious temperament is that there are people, there are sort of three outcomes. One is is that 50% of kids will develop a disorder, and then 25% of kids will get better, and then 25% of kids will just stay anxious but don't develop a disorder. Hmm. There are lots of us out there that are just sort of anxious. Do you, do you see a strength in this, Dr. Kalin? Um, do you see... Could could anxious temperament make us more attentive? Could I mean? Could it actually yeah. be helpful? It seems like a gift in some it's regards. Not all, it's not all bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, kids with this tendency um, tend to do better in school frequently. Yeah. Uh, from the standpoint of reading and staying focused, um, you know, they don't tend not to get into trouble um, because they're careful. Are they more um, sensitive? Are they more yeah. empathic? Yeah, they can be more sensitive and empathic. And you can imagine that it's very important in relation to the environment in which you're brought up. Yeah. If you have anxious temperament and you tend to be sort of uh, uh, wary of being in threatening situations and avoidant of those scenes, if you're growing up, growing up in an environment that's very threatening where when you're out on the street um, it's a dangerous place, it's sort of adaptive to you know, maybe not go outside so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So depending on the environment, too, it can it can be a strength. You can you can see that an anxious temperament might even be drawn to video games or something exactly. kind of more internalized. Right. So more, you know, sometimes more intellectual activities, yeah. things like that. So it really, it's a. I guess it's just. I think it's it's powerful to because I think what we're finding out is humans are more much more diverse, even just temperamentally, than we right. think. Right, and I think our goal for treatment, you know, is not to eradicate anxiety. That's right. not the idea. Um, but if, if a kid with anxious temperament, you know, moves into the, the range of really uh, being uh, suffering, you know, feeling the suffering and not functioning as well, to get them back down into a range where they can still benefit from some of that 
some of those characteristics, yeah. which aren't all bad at all, but not be you know plagued by the the pain related to the, the, that as it interferes with their functioning. That's um, it, I think it's powerful for all of us, and especially as a parent. Again, we're speaking with Dr. Ned Kalin, chair of psychiatry at the University of Wisconsin Madison. Um, School of Medicine. Uh, Dr. Kalin, as we're kind of wrapping it up, talk to us about what we should do as parents if we start to sense that that our child might have that temperament. Well, I think the first thing is to, uh, you know, try to understand whether your child does or doesn't have that temperament. And if you suspect that your child does, the first thing is not to freak out about it. Um, Because I think that, you know, they're broken. Parents can do that. Totally. Because, um, by the way, just, freaking out would only induce more anxiety for everyone. Right. So I think trying to basically say, okay, you know, Johnny uh, seems to be this way. You know, what can we do together uh, as parents and with him that can promote his confidence and help him uh, better interact socially? And frequently I think it's a combination of a little pushing and support and understanding. Yeah. Um, and if it's too much pushing, uh, that can be not so great. And if it's too much uh, support slash smothering, that certainly isn't good either. Uh-uh. And, and if those things don't work, uh, then I think, you know, going to a psychologist or a counselor can be very helpful. Uh, sometimes an outside person can have strategies that can help the parent as well as the child. And, you know, finally, if it's really serious and severe, uh, low doses of some medicines can help too. And and how do you um, – I guess the issue with the medicines is they you take them. It takes some time for them to get up to speed. Right. So so it's a process though, right? It, it's something that takes time to right. dial in. Right. The medicines take time and generally what they do is they sort of decrease uh, the sense of the child's uh, reactivity. One of the things that's very scary to people with anxiety is not only that they're afraid of what's happening outside – but when their bodies get all revved up, they start getting really scared of their own bodies. Mm. Something bad's going to happen physiologically. Yeah. And so the medicines can take the edge off of a little of that, which helps them then go out into the world and sort of expose themselves to situations and build their confidence as they you know, move forward instead of reinforcing a negative self-perspective and when they retreat and avoid. But medicines do take time. And, and you know, if we don't need to use medicines in children, uh, we'd rather not do that. Right. And it, they, they kind of have a bad history. I mean, a lot of yeah. people don't seem to trust them. But it seems like, too, the technology is advancing. Our ability to dial it in um, seems better. So, I mean, overall, are we getting better at managing we, we, the meds? We are. And there are some really good medicines. I think, um, you know, uh, I recently dealt with a family where both parents were very adamant about not having their child take medicines. There were two uh, young boys, actually, both of which were pretty disabled by anxiety. And after about an hour of explaining and and so on and so forth, they decided to try it. And I think it's been quite helpful. Mm. But I think there are good reasons why parents, you know, are suspicious. Um, And uh, and there are also reasons, you know, that are way overblown. (laughs) But, you know, the key is really being with a medical system and a doctor and a counselor that are really competent. uh, because um, you know medicines can be misused like anything else, you bet. and so and so and, you, you and need to shop not, a little bit, not right? To, uh, not to medic, you know, medicate the the population of children. That's not our goal. Yeah. Here, so. And, and so if you don't, if you're not jiving with the doctor you've currently got, then just keep looking. We, it's just finding the right person and doing it till you figure it out. Right, and also you know getting some recommendations about uh, how that person works and 
and how the fit is for you. Yeah. Well, good stuff. We appreciate you um, and and the great work. Keep it up. Just as a father of a child that, uh, man, I could I would have loved to have known what you know as I'm dealing with my son today even. Um, Dr. Ned Kalin, we appreciate you again. Chair of Psychiatry at the University of Wisconsin, Madison School of Medicine and Public Health. Uh, just fascinating, fascinating work. I mean, imagine someday, folks, man, that opportunity to just go in and have a tendency basically diagnosed, have your temperament figured out, and then set yourself a plan so that it doesn't necessarily have to turn into a disorder. Pretty cool advancement. And again, we need it. You hear in the news all the time, people with psychological issues that just aren't, or psychiatric issues that aren't being dealt with. The earlier we can intervene, the better. We'll take a break, my friends. Come back, do a quick little uh, roundup on uh, this hour. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Thanks for listening to us. We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, it's important that we take we take this seriously, that we take anxiety seriously, and really any any kind of extreme emotional uh, issue or disorder seriously. And it's hard. Again, I've talked about it so many times on the show about clients that they know grandma had anxiety, they know mom had anxiety, they know sisters have anxiety, they've had one person kill themselves in their family history, their children are acting weird. And I ask them to explain, well, how are they acting? They just don't want to go to school. They hate everything about life. They're starting to medicate, you know, with drugs or alcohol. And I'm like, well, could it be anxiety? And they're like, yeah, probably. And you're like, okay, so did you want to do something about that? Yeah, we ought to. There's a point where... If we're now identifying that the anxious temperament is going to be handed down, hereditary, good. Good to know. It's there now. And now we can go start to study it and identify if it's, if it's acting on our child. And if it is, then we can maybe eventually get into some more preventative work. Folks, we would do it for if we knew we had high blood pressure and our child was already experiencing a a state of high blood pressure, we wouldn't just – and they're passing out on the soccer field. We wouldn't just like, eh. We'd get serious about it, right? We'd go learn about it. We'd, We'd recognize, you know, we carry a gene of high blood pressure. We carry this. We've changed our diet. We'd adjust. But for some reason, with mental health issues, we still haven't quite got there yet. And it it makes sense that our parents didn't get there. So, you know, if you're, you know, 40-something, it might make sense that your mom and dad didn't quite get it. You know, they didn't have the data that we have today. But you get it. So there is no excuse that we're not trying to find ways for our children to have a better life to manage our family gene pool. And if your family genes are high blood pressure, you got to get on it. If it's diabetes, get on it. If it's mental health, get on it. In the end, everybody is going to carry some issue, some problem. 
Neil Maxwell, one of my just favorite uh, spiritual leaders, once said that everybody's been basically given an allotment in life, a kind of a scoop of life, right? And in that scoop of life is everything you need to learn to grow, to become a healthy, powerful person and return back to your God. But one of the things he says is that inside of that allotment is is stuff that's kind of unique to you. So some of us might hand down, you know, anxiety as part of our allotment to our family. And like the good doctor Ned Kalin was talking about, it could be a gift. The gift of a little anxious temperament could be very positive. It actually could make somebody a, a great thinker and a wonderful, intuitive, sensitive, even spiritual person. It also could make it a little harder. So everybody's got an allotment, whether it's diabetes, you know, possibly cancer, possibly Alzheimer's. Everybody's going to have something. Even some have other genes that are really positive, great physical—I mean, like me. Some people are just ripped. Then laughs, being rude. But in the end, it's all part of our allotment. And at some point, instead of just wishing we didn't have it and ignoring it so it doesn't supposedly exist— What if we could just all accept what we've got and quit wanting everyone else's allotment? Instead of wanting to be LeBron James, let's just teach our kids to accept what what we've been handed and then go see if we can make something really powerful out of it. You know, it's it's the allotment. You ought to be grateful for the things which you've been given, right? Powerful. Um, We're going to take a break. Hour number two, folks. It's in the can. We'll uh, come back again. This is the show where we try to give you the tools. Next hour, we'll be talking about good enough is better than best. There's that big debate, good, better, best. Sometimes just being good's great. We don't need to be the best at everything. That might actually be inducing anxiety for many of us. Stick with us, folks. Next hour, Diane Barth will be joining us. We'll be tearing apart the good, better, best argument, giving you some tools to uh, find good in the good that is in life. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back after the break. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. Another hour of tools, ideas, solutions, everything you need to grow healthier, happier lives. Welcome to the program. Uh, We're going to shoot right at the top of the hour here. We've got to start out with some bad news. It's over, folks. Uh, Miss Piggy and Kermit the Frog are uncoupling. They're... They're breaking up. Muppets character. Wow. You weren't ready for that. No, but some people are taking it very hard. (laughs) Did you hear that? They are struggling. Muppets characters Kermit the Frog and Miss Piggy at the world premiere of their movie Disney's Muppets Most Wanted at the El Capitan Theater in Hollywood. They've they've started, they've announced that um, the famous amphibian and swine are breaking up. They posted that on Facebook. They're not breaking up. They're uncoupling because mm-hmm. that's what the, that's that's what the what star say is now. saying. Mm-hmm. Now. Yeah. I wonder if he saw her without her makeup. Maybe that was, was that, that was it? exactly yeah, it. That, Just like yeah. the guy in Algeria <laughs> that's suing his wife for 20 grand. Um, after careful thought, 
and thoughtful consideration and considerable squabbling, Miss Piggy made the difficult decision to terminate our romantic relationship. We will continue to work together on television, the statement says, and in all media known, now known or hereafter devised in perpetuity throughout the universe. It's a very official declaration. However, our personal lives are now distinct and separate, and we will be seeing other pigs, frogs, at all. The only difference uh, between what's being stated between Kermit's camp and Miss Piggy's camp is uh, Miss Piggy is actually saying that the decision was mutual. Kermit, however, is saying it was Miss Piggy's decision. You know, I think if they would have come to you, maybe oh. this never would have happened. You know what? We would have had little froglets. <laughs> We'd have little piggy froglets. I always thought their dating was weird. Very weird. I mean, I wonder why. Why are they doing this? Is well, this, this yeah. a publicity for something? But yeah, but I think it was. I don't. I think it was just this animal attraction. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Literal, <laughs> like literally. But you would think that they wouldn't like go from a different uh, species. You know, you'd think mm-hmm. you'd stay within your stay within your ilk, right? Yeah. But see, that's why you can't control animal. Just the animal love. Right, Ben? I mean, when I, you look at Ben, you're like, yeah, Ben needs to control animal love. I have no idea what that means. <laughs> I know. Well, it's animal love. Miss Piggy and Kermit, animals, or amphibian, one of them. Um, sad. It's a sad day. See, again, right when you think you've heard it all, right when you've seen like the lowest, the bottom of the barrel of life, then you find out two that you thought forever could make it work. They've been dating forever. How could they not make this work? Because Kermit doesn't even have ears, does he? No. And Miss Piggy's got a lot of mouth going on. <laughs> so it's a perfect combo. Plus a she lot could, to love. From, she could just fit right in, his po- right in her pocket. It's cute. <laughs> anyway, sad, sad day. So, uh, you know, remember, love's hard, folks. You got to... You gotta... And no matter who you are, right? Yeah. yeah. Or what it's you hard are. for everybody. That's exactly right. Let's go to some of the other headlines. Not as big as this one, but let's go see what else is going on. Okay, good morning, everybody. The FBI is reportedly investigating Hillary Clinton's email server from her New York home that she used while Secretary of State. Intelligence officials are concerned some of that sensitive information was not in the government's possession and could be compromised. The information is now apparently on a thumb drive and in the possession of her attorney, who says they're actively cooperating in the investigation. Donald Trump will be front and center in tomorrow night's first GOP debates on Fox News. The Republican frontrunner had this message to his supporters. With your help and support, together we can make America truly great again. Trump will be joined on each side by Jeb Bush and Scott Walker. The rest of the primetime field includes Mike Huckabee, Ben Carson, Ted Cruz, Marco Rubio, Rand Paul, Chris Christie, and John Kasich. That debate will begin at 7 p.m. Eastern time. The first debate spotlights the other GOP contenders, seven of them. One of those is Rick Santorum, and he's not happy with how the fields were chosen. Now to go seven months out and arbitrarily cut off that number uh, is an insult to the uh, uh, to the voters. They, uh, Fox should uh, should apologize to the uh, to the candidates. 
The first debate begins at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. Pope Francis today said that divorced Catholics who remarry deserve better treatment from the church and warned pastors not to treat them and their children as if they are excommunicated. Catholic teaching considers divorced members who remarry are living in sin and not allowed to receive communion. The Pope's emphasis on mercy has many Catholics hoping the communion ban will be eventually lifted. California's massive Rocky Fire is now 20 percent contained thanks to cooler weather and a little rain. So far, the fire has burned 67,000 acres, covering an area of 100 square miles north of San Francisco. The wing fragment found on an island in the Indian Ocean last week is being examined today by French and Malaysian experts. They hope the piece offers clues to the fate of the Malaysian Airlines flight that went missing last year. Analysts say investigators will also examine the metal with high-powered microscopes to possibly gain insight into what caused the plane to go down. Divers are searching for the body of Natalia Mokonova, the woman considered to be the world's greatest freediver. The 53-year-old is feared dead after failing to resurface from a recreational dive in Spain. The 23-time world champion, who holds 41 records, could hold her breath for nine minutes and dive 330 feet. Wow. Uh, did you see Mission Impossible, Rogue Nation? No, not yet. Well, and there's a scene where Tom Cruise has to hold his breath, and he does it for over six minutes. Holy cow. And he actually hired a free diver to help him with breathing exercises, but nine minutes, I can't he even He can hold his breath that. six minutes? That's what it says, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. That, uh, yeah. I can't I, hold my breath 12 seconds. I know. Seconds. I do one minute, and I think I'm going to pass out. So, if I can yeah. touch the bottom of the pool, I feel like a big You're man. You're good, yeah. Nine minutes, though. That, that is crazy. almost impossible. Hey, can we replay that Donald Trump audio? Um, I want I want you to t- think of this. When you listen to this audio, does it sound like Donald Trump works at a McDonald's drive-thru? With your help and support, together we can make America <laughs> truly great again. And I'll have fries and fry sauce. You want to supersize that, Mister? <laughs> Doesn't it? Like it's totally. That's it. That was his robocall. I think that's great. First time he made his announcement, he had to come down the escalator at the Trump thing. <laughs> now he's making his next announcement through mm-hmm. the McDonald's drive-thru. Mm-hmm. Well, he's he's embracing American culture. That's that, that's the exactly. Right. He's, and the, the, yeah, he's it's all about American culture. And Terry brought up a really good point. He's just using his new cell phone. Exactly. The, and, gave and if out you want to call his cell phone, yeah, we could give you the is. number. <laughs> if we were going to dock people, dox people. I can't wait for the debate though to see because yeah. either Donald Trump he, he's either going to really sink in the polls, right? Or he'll, I, I, you know, he'll just wow everybody and and yeah. move up. But yeah, it's going to be the, tough. I'm not sure if he's going to have real specifics. Well, well, yeah, it's going to get interesting, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. We're going to see uh, – did you see the – we talked about the Ronda Rousey fight. Mm-hmm. I bet it's going to be a lot like that. It'll be really quick. The problem is with 10 people in two hours, oh, what, yeah. it's over just a little over 10 minutes each person gets. I don't know what you're really going to find out in that I think out of, of the 10, you're going to see a lot of them just stick to their own notes, just try to embellish their life. Mm-hmm. Don't bring up Trump, right? Right. But then you're going to have one. You're just going to have one that's going to cross the line, yep. and he'll be shredded. <laughs> it's probably someone at the very bottom. Yeah, I'm going to bet. I don't know. He Jeb have anything to lose. Jeb stepped in it and recently and mm-hmm. made a. I mean, you, there's just certain things at this level. It's just you just got to learn. Did you see that other news? By the way, this is crazy. Oh, I got to tell you this. There's a new gene they found in Singapore that is basically they think they can identify your political leanings. You're going to Republican or Democrat because it's the gene is called DRD4. It's concerned with the release of dopamine, a neurotransmitter chemical that makes you feel good. And in some people, 
they actually, the gene or absence correlates with some people going leftward, like so Democratic, they tend to focus more on inequality issues. Mm-hmm. And those that lean rightward tend to focus more on preserving stability. So the conservative that preserves uh-huh. and the liberal that just is always stirring the pot yeah. and looking for the next uh, inequality. And they're actually finding out that they can detect it. And it's especially detectable in females. Hmm. <laughs> Not so much That's in the guys. because we're more emotional. It might so be, it totally. So it probably is you know, more apparent. Well, yeah. Isn't that interesting? So yeah. now, before you get married... You just do a little test on your wife. <laughs> first, you want to make sure you see her without makeup. We yeah, learned that very, in yeah, very the first important. hour. Very important. Because a man is suing his wife because she took her makeup off. And he's like, what? Your you face. Are you. And then the other thing you got to make sure is you got to find out if she leans left or right. Mm-hmm. Then you know. Mm-hmm. Then you can take her to the GOP dinners or the whatever dinners you want to go to. I remember dating a guy who was not of my political ilk. Uh-huh. And my sister, she pretty much ruined it because my sister, she cannot keep her mouth closed when it comes to political issues. <laughs> and those two went at it like two cats. Did they? Like oh, two, so like, there's the. It's oh, over. Bye. See ya. Yeah, that was it. But see that that you would have been a different. You would you would have been a communist now because that guy was probably a communist. He was pretty close. <laughs> In my sister's opinion, anyway. And she, thank heavens for family. Oh, she saved me. Keeping the keeping the bad people away. Good job, Kathy. Great stuff. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to be talking with. Diane Barth, who's a counselor, a social worker, she's going to be talking to us about an article, Five Ways That Good Enough Is Better Than Best. Some of us get so caught up in wanting to be the best, the best at everything that we do. Sometimes good is just all you need. We'll be getting into that. Stick with us. We're talking about good, better, best up next on The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, with only one life to live, sometimes we get caught up with the idea that every moment of our life has to be the best moment. We end up not enjoying our birthday party because it wasn't the best, or we disregard potential relationships because uh, it's not exactly perfect. Licensed clinical social worker Diane Barth uh, joins us on the phone And uh, she suggested in one of her articles that striving to be or have or do the best could be costing you the pleasure of good enough moments that are sprinkled throughout every day. Diane Barth is joining us. She's a psychotherapist, psychoanalyst in private practice in New York City and is here to teach us more about managing good, better, best. Uh, Diane, welcome back to The Matt Townsend Show. Thank you, Matt. Great to have you. Thanks. It's nice to be here. It's uh, we last hour we talked about uh, anxiety and depression and kind of the inherited traits that 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 might come from that. But one of the things that seems to be interesting or correlate to this is if I'm obsessed with being the best, it might drive me into serious anxiety in life. Yep. Yep. <laughs> is and does that? I mean, why are we so into just chasing the best? Well, there are a lot of reasons. I mean, we live in a very competitive society. We have this idea that to compete, you have to be, the, to compete and be successful, you have to win and be the best, which is fine sometimes, but it's not always possible, and you can still enjoy 
um, you know, you can enjoy things that you're doing even if you're not winning, whatever that happens to mean. Right. Is it is it um, as you look at it? We, there there are just as many good moments of life. And in fact, probably significantly more good moments of life if we could just relax and see them. Oh, for sure. I mean, we've all had the experience where, um, I hope my son will forgive me, I'm going to use him as an example, <laughs> but he is a, an athlete and he loves, uh, he, he's a rower and he loves rowing. He loves being on the water. He loves the uh, energy of the team. He loves everything about it. And it is very hard for him to really appreciate that he doesn't have to win. I'm sorry, I should change that. <clears throat> it used to be hard. He's gotten older, and it's much easier for him now. But you, you really don't have to win at that sport to, to have a wonderful time at it. Mm. I mean, because that's it. You don't have to be the best. My son's trying out for a football league this year or right now, and – you know, on the field, there's going to have five teams, and one team is the very best team that will go against all the best teams in the rest of the leagues. And the other four teams are just going to be really fun. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, wouldn't it be nice if the best team could be having fun? Too? Right. Because the, the reality is they will not be the best always. Yeah. They will lose. They will, you know, sometimes they won't play as well. You know, I talk about this in my blog. Sometimes they won't play as well this week as they did last week. Mm-hmm. They won't play as well, you know, today as they might tomorrow. And wouldn't it be nice if they could be enjoying what they're doing while they're not necessarily doing it the best? Is um, I can hear some in their heads saying, well, shouldn't we teach our kids to be the best instead of being good enough? I mean, but but really, when you say good enough, good enough is just you're great. I mean, you're you're there. You're in the game. Yeah, it's happening. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I think that one of the problems with the whole striving for the best is that we're what we what we're talking about, although we don't necessarily say it, is that we're striving to be perfect. Right. And that's just not humanly possible. So part of the the real work, and it's work for, I think, almost anybody who lives in a competitive society, which we all do these days, but the, the work is to be able to say that, you know, I'm trying to do as well as I can do in this moment at this time, and, but I also want to really enjoy it. Yeah. Um, the the other thing is that I I love the the this quote from D W Winnicott who was a British psychoanalyst who used to say over and over again that um, being a perfect parent is really not the path to being a good parent. Mm-hmm. That actually being a good enough parent is much better than being the best parent because <laughs> you by being good enough. You're letting your child have room to grow, to maybe do things you can't do, yeah, to, yeah. to have space to be things that you're not. And, and to I experience that, true. right? Sorry, say to, that again. I was just going to say to experience. I mean, if all of us were the best parents, um, then it seems like we would create great kids, but they also wouldn't have experienced difficult parenting. Exactly. And I don't think we would create great kids because I think we would create, we would create intimidated kids or kids who felt they could never be good enough for us yeah. or as good as us. I don't think that would make for great kids. That's but, it's true. 
But the other thing that you just said I think is really important is, is that if our kids don't have moments of feeling frustrated and disappointed and dissatisfied throughout their childhood, how are they going to deal with it when they get to be adults? Mm-hmm. They, they need those experiences to build the, the muscles and the skills for dealing with those things, which are going to happen. Yeah, in your Psychology Today um, article, you bring up a really good point about the best doctor mm-hmm. may, may not actually be the one you want. Right. Why is that? Explain that. Well, I was just, I was actually talking about this with some friends who are both doctors the other day. And, and one of the things is that, first of all, the best doctor for me may not be the best doctor for you. Uh, right. So one thing is you have to figure out what kind of a doctor you need, what kind of a person you need. Who do you talk to most easily? Who can you ask questions to? But another thing is that, you know, we get these, these um, articles. I don't know if you all get them out there, but in New York we get these articles in New York Magazine about um, who's the best doctor in the city, who's the best doctor in the country. And the problem with those best lists is that often if you can get an appointment with one of these doctors, <laughs> right. you may not get more than two and a half minutes of conversation with them. Yeah, right. and if you need more than that, boy, they aren't the best. Exactly, exactly. And most of us do need more than that, right? Yeah, right. So sometimes the top surgeon in the country is not really going to give you the same attention and the same um, care that somebody who is maybe, quote-unquote, not the best, but is thoughtful and interested in you and wants to work with you with whatever the problem is that you've got, will give you. Hmm. And I mean, I look at that too, of a doctor that's maybe done, you know, maybe they're 55, 60, they're kind of wrapping up their practice. They've, they're really good at what they do, but they may not have all the latest training. Or then you can go get the young buck that just got out of, you know, college. They just got all the latest and greatest, but they maybe just don't have the calm demeanor. It's just exactly. really so. It's so. It, so. So much of this is about if not just striving to find the best, but striving striving to find my what's good for me. Exactly. Huh. Exactly. Good. Yeah. And, and and then I guess um, then then you then you don't I guess have to stress. What does it do for me in the end? Yeah. By just having the good, it's just less stressful. Yeah. Boy. And it gives you what you're looking for most often. I mean, if you, if, I think that one of the things with this striving to be the best or have the best is, is that we stop paying attention to what, what we actually need. Mm-hmm. And so we, we move towards some sort of external value system that may not have anything to do with what, what is really going on for us. Yeah. Yeah, Brene Brown, who I really like, has a has a thing where she talks about that. Um, you know, striving for the best is is in some ways also tr- striving for perfectionism, which she talks about a lot. And and she talks about um, that, that perfectionism is not about self improvement or healthy achievement. It's about l- or looking for approval and acceptance. Huh. Right. And I think that's true a lot of times when we're, we, even if it's, we're looking for the best doctor, we think we're, we're going to get someone who is going to make us, I don't know, acceptable or, or better. And I guess if, if we're always dropping like the name of our doctor, mm-hmm. then, then it is that we're kind of caught up in our comparing, look, I mean, trying to use that as a, as a stepping stone to look better. Yes. 
So I guess that's one of the signs. If really, if the best is something you have to drive so people can see it or, you know, you always have to bring up so it's there, it's part of you, then you might be caught up into this perfection thing. Exactly. Exactly. That's a beautiful way to put it. Hmm. It's And you don't you don't always think about it. You just think, well, no, we should strive for the best. We just got to be the best. Right. But not if, yeah, not if we're chasing the wrong dream. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. We're, we're, we're going to take a break. A fascinating stuff. We're talking with Diane Barth, uh, who is a Psychology Today um, uh, blogger, but also is the author of her own book. Uh, one of her books is called Daydreaming, Unlock the Creative Power of Your Mind. And you can find that book on Amazon.com. We'll take a break. Come back. Continue the discussion of good, better, best, and how, you know what? Most of the time, really good's just really good. And it's really good for you, especially if you know what you need. We'll take a break. More on good, better, best right after the break. everybody to the Matt Townsend show. Do you ever find yourself comparing, you know, yourself to others, your good versus their better versus their best competing, maybe where you don't need to compete. Are you caught up in that, you know, need to be perfect or feeling bad because you didn't, you know, get the best of something. Well, joining us to help us sort through good, better, best is Psychology Today blogger uh, Diane Barth, who joins us. She has a bachelor's and master's degrees from social work from Columbia University and is graduated as a certified psychoanalyst from the Psychoanalytic Institute uh, uh, of the Postgraduate Center and also, by the way, is practicing private practice in uh, psychotherapy and as a psychoanalyst in New York City. She's she's doing it all. And so she's helping us kind of sort through good, better, best. Diane Barth, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Matt. It really is. a It's a problem because then we go to work and we want, you know, we want the best job. And you mentioned in your article about uh, the best job. But really, it's still my job. It's It's the best job for me. It doesn't mean I need to always move up the ladder and eventually become the president, does it? Right, right. Yeah, oh, absolutely. It's a really important point. And, and put it on the other end of the spectrum also. I see it with, um, co- you know, recent college grads yeah. who are looking for their first job, and they feel that it has to be the best job, and it has to be the right job. And, you oh. know, one of the problems with that is that your first job out of college is almost never the best job. And it hopefully is not the job you're going to stay in for the rest of your life. But it's a chance to really learn some skills that you don't learn in college and that you probably haven't developed or um, new skills that you need to develop. And I actually think that's one of the biggest problems with the fantasy of the best is that it interferes with our ability to learn. We mm. think we're supposed to know it all. We're supposed to do it all. We're supposed to have it all already. So we can't learn. Well, and how many kids want to have the cars and the homes that their parents have, and yet uh, 
you know, we didn't get there overnight. Right, exactly. And, and what's so funny about it, too, is many of the parents that now have the cars in the homes, they're not even happy. They don't even right. like what they've got. Yes, yes. And, you know, and they'd give anything. But it's, I guess it's just that comparative mentality. And I, it's, I guess it's just something, I guess, that's so natural to a human being. Well, and I think you put your finger on something super important, which is that the more we are able to appreciate, as you said before, the good, you know, yeah. the more we will stop you know, struggling for something that we either can't have or don't have. Um, I think that this idea that we're supposed to have the best, the best car, the best, the best new car, the best house, the you know, the best mm-hmm. new dishwasher, whatever it is that we think we're supposed to have, or that we feel like is the best thing to have, um, inter- you know, it, as you say, it just stops us from enjoying what we do have. Is there? It seems like one place we we really might want to do our best is just in our own personal um, delivery of of um, our skills or our talents. Shouldn't we try to do our best job? You know, I, 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 that's one of the things I write about. That I think that that's a really complex question because, of course, we want to strive to do the best we can do. But um, I, it, my first um, uh, supervisor when I graduated from social work school was a really interesting guy who used to say that, you know, yes, you want to do absolutely as well as you can do, but what you need to know is that, you know, one day you've got more energy or Mm. more or somehow things are just clicking. Yeah. And that day your best is going to be better than another day when you've got a little less energy or you're hungry or you're tired or you had a fight with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. Mm -hmm. And... What he said over and over again, because as you may have figured out, I was and struggled with my whole life being a perfectionist. Yeah. Um, (laughs) So over and over again, he would say to me, you know, you're not going to ever be perfect. You're going to make mistakes. I mean, he actually is the one who taught me that you learn from mistakes. You really learn from mistakes. But that your, your striving to be your best needs to be with a recognition that today's best is not the same as another day's best. That's true. And I guess that's it. Huh? It's, it's based on the conditions, the needs, the abilities, the timing. Your, your best is going to change. Exactly. Exactly. And, 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 yeah, you, you really don't, but we do as humans, you probably ought to find a way to not expect to do more than you can really do. Yeah. But we're yep. horrible critics, aren't we, of ourselves? We are. We are. We're the worst critics. Absolutely. Mm. We need to stop that. What comes <laughs> after best? I mean, what's so funny about it is, so you finally, and you see this a lot, like on Pinterest or on certain sites where somebody has now made the perfect meal. Right. And it's beautifully decorated right. and and it's all laid out. So once and you've delivered you the perfect, yeah, yeah, and you got your picture, but then at my house it would be the boys would sit down and they'd all be like, "Ew, <laughs> ew, what is that?" Right. And so after we've attained best, then what? Yep. It's yep. it just seems like we're setting ourselves up to really be kicked in the chin again. Yep. Because <laughs> it's it tomorrow's another day. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, which is why we're chasing a dream, aren't we? Yes. But it's a it's yes, and it's a problematic dream. I, I actually I um, I come from a family who and my and my husband and my son are big sports fans. Yeah. 
And I actually think that there's a great lesson. I mean, I know there are all sorts of problems with all kinds of athletics, but there is a great lesson to be learned from professional and, and even college athletes in that they play as well as they can play, and they know that tomorrow is going to be another day. Uh-huh. Tomorrow they're going to play another game. It will be different. They may have an injury. They may be better. Um, but they don't stop because today was a perfect game. Right. Oh, that's powerful. Yeah. yeah. It's, and it's, yeah, we just do it again tomorrow and we kind of reset. I think that's, I think that is just a great paradigm about it. And, and tomorrow we, you know, tomorrow we could just get schooled and, and yet, you know, today's today. As we exactly. wrap up, um, Diane, what, what would you say is the one thing we just need to keep in mind to make sure that we're, that good is good? And it's good enough. I, I think maybe that's the that's it. I I do think that the the idea you said it earlier, and I think this is really probably the most important thing. That a lot of times when we're striving for what we think of as the best, we're looking for something from other people. We're looking for some kind of approval, mm. some kind of validation, and that's fine. I think as human beings, we all need that, but that's not about the best. It's about what we are looking for, what we need, and we will go ahead and need that again another yeah. time. Yeah. Oh, so that's if we it. can enjoy what we've got, if we can get some validation for what we've got, great. That's but great. it keeps going. Well, we appreciate you again. Uh, Diane Barth, great work. Go, you can go find her writing on psychologytoday.com and go check out her book, Daydreaming, Unlock the Creative Power of Your Mind. Uh, good stuff. You can find that on Amazon. Good, good stuff, folks. Good Settle for it. It's settles even a weird word. Accept it, man. If you just had a life of good, holy cow, that's pretty dang awesome. We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll be visiting a couple of really good guys, our buddies from BYU Sports Nation. Up next, we'll find out what's up on their show. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. We're going to shoot it down to my good buddies, Spencer and Brian, down at BYU Sports Nation. Hello, John. Oh, man. Spencer's gone. Jerem's here today. What? Are you kidding? Yeah. You guys are playing with me. Can can you play the group Bare Naked Ladies on BYU Radio? Yeah, I just did it. Hey, Hey. there's history. For the first time, Matt, you didn't get my name wrong. I, I don't get your name wrong. Yeah, you always say, you know... Spencer. Oh, I know. Jerem, no, I know. Exactly. Because yeah. they never tell me. now. But I was told by you on the show that you're on for the next two weeks. Yeah, me, myself. I didn't say anything about Spencer I was surprised. I'm surprised Jerem's here. Yeah, me too. <laughs> hey, Jerem, and guess what? So did you hear the song, Bare Naked Ladies? Yeah. And did you see, did you listen to the line? There's one line. Yeah, something about being not around? No, I just, the, no, no? I just made you say underwear. Because yeah, today exactly. is underwear exactly. day. I was wondering why you played that. Happy Underwear Day, guys. Every day, man. <laughs> Every day is Underwear Day for Jerem. <laughs> Good, Jerem. Make sure. Anyway, isn't that sad? that we, That's all they had today. No food, no interesting insights, just Underwear Day. It's a slow day, apparently. It's a very slow day. August 5th. Hey, do you guys know who Ronaldo is? 
Yes. Can I have Jerem? Can I have you give me a goalie sh- a goal shout out in Espanol? Goal! 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 Because <laughs> they do multiple versions. I know they do. Golazo! Exactly. That's good. Uh, did you hear about Ronaldo? What he's doing with his agent? Yeah, he gave him an island. An for island. His, uh, wedding gift. He was his best man. What did you give your agent, Jerem? My agent? I, I ain't got no agent. Brian, what'd you get? Who'd, what'd you get your agent? Agent Carter, maybe. Um, I didn't give my agent anything. He didn't give me anything. He wouldn't even pay for my training. What a loser! Right? I wouldn't pay for somebody that's five six. <laughs> I would, <laughs> dude. I'd pay for you. Oh. Because you're the man. You're holding down Sports Nation, BYU Sports Nation. I should have had you as my agent. You're, you're the central figure me. now. You're, you're pretty much it. Whoa. I think if oh, you, Jerem, yes, if you, Jerem is a pretty big deal. No, if you stay in there long enough, Bri, I think at this rate, Jerem and um, Jerem and Spencer are going to just disappear. They're getting wow. tired. Wow. And with that, we've got to go. Anyway, <laughs> that's have because you, seen you guys the commercial are never here. We shot with Brian. We shot two, in fact. No, are they the quote, unquote, are, They're airing Logan Takeover. Oh no. Yeah. I've got to go check these out. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't Follow have them. TV. Are you serious? You yeah. don't have a TV. I do, but I'm never home to watch TV. I'm always out running, exercising, working the core. Working the the coreness. Yeah. Working the core. Yeah. They're, t- they're, yeah. There's, uh, they're on the internet. Are they? As well. I'm going to go check them out. The YouTube. I'll check them out tomorrow. I'll comment on them. Yeah. I'll give a critique. Give a thumbs up on YouTube. <laughs> Did you guys hear the sad news about Miss Piggy and Miss and Kermit the Frog? No. They're no. uncoupling. Really? Yeah. Yeah, they always get back together. Ken and Barbie. You, well, you think so, but I think this one's permanent. I, actually, I know it's permanent because Kermit started eating pork. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's bad. Yeah, it's pretty permanent now. <laughs> so. Typically in a marriage, you don't want to consume no. you know, the other no. person. No, it, it's a great, no, it's a great, it's a great rule. Yeah, in fact, I'm going to add that to my new book if I yeah, can. Yeah, put it in. Put it, Do not put consume in your book. the flesh. Okay, um, <laughs> what's coming up on your show today, guys? You're still Stuff? doing your show, yes. right? Sports. Yeah. Actually, I should ask Brian. Brian, what's coming up on your show, Brian? Oh, uh, my show is actually later on. Uh, oh, is it? Tonight. It's uh, BYU Sports Nation uh, After Dark Radio Slow After Jazz Dark. with Brian. Logan. Slow jam. Yeah, slow jazz. <laughs> slow, with Brian jams, yeah. slow jams. Slow yeah. jams with Brian Logan. My deep. Dark voice. Oh, yeah. You got to see the commercials. Brian Brian delivers. Okay, I'm looking them up right now. We're going to talk to Jordan Leslie of the Minnesota Vikings for a BYU receiver. What will it take for him to make the roster? Uh, We'll we'll also talk a lot about the expectations for Taysom Hill. So a lot of hype going into the season, but what do you actually think he's going to do? Okay, we're going to break down that statistically, competitively. How does he stay healthy? Yeah. Also, the uh, BYU football fall camp schedule is out. I'll tell you about that. New watch list for Taysom Hill. Early season bracketology for Ooh. next year's March Madness is out from ESPN. Early season bracketology yeah. for next year's March yeah. Madness? Yeah. It's wow. Out. Joe Lenardi is the guy at ESPN, the bracketologist. He's considered kind of the top dog in that. He, he has released it. So where does BYU fit into that? We'll tell you. Wow. Yeah. Do they Believe fit? It. Do they fit? If they fit, we'll you, you. you must acquit. Got to listen. You must acquit. Hey, I'm watching those videos, those commercials of Brian like throwing shoes out because they smell and stuff. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what I do. There's two different ones. Takeover commercials. It was such a big deal. They made two, not one. Yeah, you can't. One was not enough. You needed two. Hey, I by the way, I went on BYU TV and and looked up your blog and I entered did you in. Vote? I did. I voted. 
Good. So those that don't know, top 16 plays of BYU's independence. Uh, they've been an independent team last four years. So we made a bracket that throughout August we'll have a contest. So right now it's the round of 16. So go and vote on BYUtv.org. It's it's really it's a cool thing because you get to see all the plays. Then you vote, and then you realize, and I don't want to brag, but I'm pretty much voted with all of the majorities. Well, you probably did the the uh, higher seeds, right? No. Oh, okay. You picked some upsets, like a 12 over a 5? Yeah. Good. Just how I roll. Good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. To me, it's more about the impact. I see you rolling. Yeah. Hating. <laughs> yeah. See? <laughs> see? You guys. Well, I hope you have a great show. I mean, it just seems like Brian's kind of more reserved with you, Jerem. He was he was typing. I'm I think typing he's in a actually. chat right now. Yeah. Is he? Oh, is he chatting it up with somebody? Yeah. Yeah. Chatting it up. I'm. I'm. Yeah. I'm distracted. I'm sorry. You ch- are you chatting <laughs> it up with? Are you chatting it up with your your squeeze your sugar? Um. No. I. I'm on a diet, so no sugar for me. Okay. Yeah. Sugar free today. <laughs> okay. Well. Great. Wait, what? Right. <laughs> well. Anyway, that's great. Uh, again, best of luck today. Have a great show. Remember who you are and return with honor. Hey, stay sweet. <laughs> you too. See you tomorrow, gentlemen. Bye. Be good. Soccer. There it is. Soccer. You got to love that. You finally got soccer. Soccer. Hey, uh, great, great stuff. Brian Logan, man. Permanent fill in there. It's a pretty good deal. How come they get commercials? We need a commercial. Uh, will you take a note? Take a note for me here, Ben. Um, commercials. We need uh, – tell Don, dear Don, we need more commercials, TV and radio commercials about the Matt Townsend show. So you're taking the note? You're taking the note on the chalkboard? The note said pencil and paper, I swear. So it's pencil and paper <laughs> on a chalkboard apparently. Okay, great. So you got the note. You'll give that – send that to Don. Um, just I'm tired of Sports Nation always having commercials. And the Matt Townsend Show, we don't have commercials. Anything else? Um, tell them we need food cart. We need some food, you know, maybe a bagel cart in the morning or something. Okay, I like that. Something with Maybe some protein. Ooh, sausage and eggs would be great, too. Okay, sweet. I don't want to ask for too much. You know, you don't want to overextend. But it is underwear day, whatever that means. Hey, did you hear that China is planning to build a new super city around Beijing? It's a radical experiment in urban growth. The mega city will be the size of Kansas. And authorities say it will house as many people as one-third of the United States. Wow. It will combine Beijing's metropolis with the port city of Tianjin and the less developed regions of the Hebei province. A new uh, high-speed railroad would link major cities with a commute of less than one hour. They're building a city the size of Kansas to hold about a third of the United States. Holy China. That's crazy. Isn't that crazy? Oh, well. What do you think? I mean, that's just, who does that? China. Hey, we always like to wrap up the show with a hero story. Here's one of my favorite uh, heroes of the day. A 19-year-old kid pulls a woman from a burning car. He saves her life. After witnessing an accident at a gas station, one kid's quick thinking saved the life of a total stranger on July 18th this year. Uh, it was just an ordinary day for Philip Bitar, a 19-year-old from Oregon, when he stopped at a gas station with his brother that morning. While there, he watched an older aged woman pull up to the gas pump, accidentally threw her car into reverse, 
uh, rather than hitting the brake and hit the gas pump and began a very dangerous car fire. He instantly ran over to the vehicle, broke out the window, and pulled the woman to safety. Tualatin Valley Fire and Rescue Battalion Fire Chief Leonard Damien said, Bitter's quick thinking, as well as an employee who quickly shut off the main switch to the gas pumps after seeing the fire, are being credited for preventing what he said could have been an enormous tragedy. Uh, He said, I didn't really have much time to think and process everything as it was happening, but seeing the fire and the car and knowing she was out, it really hit me that I saved her life, and it really felt good, said Philip uh, concerning his actions. His actions were nothing short of heroic, the fire chief Damien said. What a stud. So if you don't think that you can trust these teens, you know what? You can. They're They're still smart. They're great people. We've all, we're all just on this big ball of mud, right? Flying through space, trying to become the best we can become. And our kids are, are just the same. They're just like us. Good stuff. We've had a great show. Man, we've learned about a lot of interesting stuff uh, throughout the program, starting with Dr. Gary Chapman. If you didn't get to hear that interview, Dr. Gary Chapman was in our first hour of the show. Go back, check us out on, um, on our podcast. You can find us on TuneIn or iTunes, or you can go to byuradio.org to download those shows. The whole thing was about anger and how to handle and manage your anger better. Um, Dr. Gary Chapman, one of the great uh, authors around. We also then, the next hour, talked about anxiety and anxious temperament, which is a new uh, a new discovery they found that before somebody has an anxiety disorder, they, ha- they tend to have an anxious temperament. And now with our children, we can start to go in and identify if your child has an anxious temperament, which could easily be handed down from parent to child. It's just a temperament issue. And once we know that, then we can do better, you know, interventions and, and help our kids more. Interesting stuff, folks, all on the show. Remember, we can't do the show without you. We start every day, Monday through Friday, 9 to noon Eastern time, and uh, it's just great. So we, we hope you'll come join us again tomorrow for more ideas, more tools, and stick with us uh, right after this next break. We'll be back to BYU Sports Nation. Good stuff ahead, all here on BYU Radio. <laughs> 